It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! I'd be lying if I tried to tell you I don't think about you After all the miles and the wild nights that we've been through Lord knows we had a few Dear Rodeo This episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STAKE for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota. The FBI's most wanted, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Still cranking out great big savings at MyPillow. We've got the Percal bed sheets, Air Lindell's version one or two, my slippers, and my dog beds. Lowest prices ever while supplies last. You're in a promo code to take a check out, you're going to get big, big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've got that My Coffee launched in the bag via the bean or in the pod. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for everything sleep related. If you're more of a morning person, my store. Dot com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, participating in the rodeo, oh, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our great friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. They're premium handmade cigars out of Nicaragua. 100% long filler tobacco aged at least three years to give you the best smoke possible. You get 15% off when you enter promo code STEAK. Free shipping on orders over 100. And every box of cigars comes with a $10 e-gift card for your next purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic, Steak for Breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear for Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Dumpbox.us. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Getter and True Social, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 175. I'm Roan. 
Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's going to be joining us in just a bit. Guys, we got a huge show lined up for you today. We've got congressional candidate Ryan Zinke in here. We're also going to be sitting down with one of our favorites, J.R. Majewski. We've got two of the biggest writers on the market right now, Raheem Kassam and Josh Hammer. We'll even talk to Gavin Wax for a little bit. But before we get into any of that, let's jump into the news. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse. He writes an irate substack. He's one of our great friends. Self-invite this time. Easiest scheduling ever with Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thank you for having me. I, um, I hate being away for so long, but I never know where I'm going to be. And so, um, yeah, you're right. I've taken to just inviting myself whenever I have the time. Yeah, I suggested Raheem coming back for our 200th episode. Obviously, it would be a great milestone for the show. And mm-hmm. his instant reply was episode 175 and 200. So here we are. Perfect. Uh, first of all, we wanted to congratulate you on behalf of our listenership. You recently participated in the Tunnel to Towers 5K. You raised over $21,000 for the charity and ran a hell of a good leg. Uh, how was that whole experience? It seemed like you had a great time. And obviously, you know, it's for a better than average cause. So really good to see you participate in that and just uh, kill it like you do with most stuff. Yeah, you know, last, um, I appreciate that. Last uh, year, I did it for the first time, and I realized that not only was I incredibly out of shape, uh, but also that, um, you know, you can do a lot of things to to help other people. And last year, the best I could do in the short notice of time was was just running the race and and raising awareness that way. This time I had some, uh, a greater heads up over the fact that I was going to do it. And I managed to uh, cajole some of the New York young Republicans in to join me as well. Uh, And we put together a run team uh, on the day. And uh, yeah, originally I set a goal for, I think it was just a thousand dollars i thought hey you know i'll do what little i can tweeted that out blew past it in a matter of seconds uh raised it to 2500 blew past that in an hour 5000 blew past that in half a day 10000 we were done in about a week uh, and by the end of the race of course as you say we were nearly i think at 22 thousand uh, dollars in total which is you know extraordinary and a testament to uh, the people who who you know I, I was reaching out to via social media and my email list and via the national pulse and my Substack and so on and so forth not least because as you know people are struggling at the moment you know people have their own monetary concerns but are still willing to put their hands in their pockets, some people multiple times over throughout our fundraising period, um, to help others. And Tunnel to Towers has done such an amazing job. It's a you know an A-plus rated charity on Charity Navigator. I think something like 95 cents in every dollar donated goes directly to the cause that they raise for. Uh, and they've done just such an amazing job. Um, I, I've noticed their growth has been incredible over the past couple of years. So very much that was the, the least I could do. Um, and, and I tend to do more of them. You know, they have runs all around the country. Uh, if, if you want to participate, the people listening to this, uh, just go to their website. I think it's t2t.org, um, Tunnel to Towers. And, uh, you know, they have them all around the country all year long. So I'm going to do as many as possible. Keep myself in shape and, and keep, you know, the people who need uh, this help at the most difficult times for them um, in as good a standing as we can. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the, the better and most legitimate causes out there and in addition to that you know just the whole component of you going around the country and advocating for it i mean i 
We are so throttled on Twitter. We barely get any engagement. I think that tweet I shared of yours to donate to the to the charity itself for the last race you did, it was, you know, got pr- pretty common for a lot of bigger influencers, but it got hundreds of thousands of views. So if we were able to contribute in a small way just by sharing it, it was good on our part. So Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And, and it seems like uh, something that uh, probably our listenership will be, you know, hey, it's another great way to meet Raheem. If you could catch him on, on the racetrack, you could probably uh, get a soundbite from him while he's running next to you for a minute. And <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of those. I love that as well. You're just, you know, in your in your, you know, running gear and somebody will just tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, can I have a selfie? And I'll, I really want to say, no, not really. I, I look awful right now. Um, but it's always good fun. I notice, by the way, whenever I'm out and this happens, I never end up seeing these selfies anywhere. So I don't know what people are doing with these pictures of me that they have on their phones, but they're not, they don't seem to be posting them anywhere or at least not tagging me when they post them. So if you're listening to this and you've had one of those, can you tag me at least so I can see what I look like? <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's good to have a, a strong fan base like you do. And like I said, if you want to, they're get printing a them out and making a shrine in their basement. Maybe. Don't don't ask him during the run what the top three midterm election issues are. I mean, he might answer, but uh, if you get a selfie, make sure you tag him and and, and put a geo stamp <laughs> on it. Raheem, Raheem, we've seen some things change in in Europe over the past couple months, and since we've had you on the show, obviously change of leadership in the UK and how that's kind of affected the whole dynamic of the EU and if you can combine that with stuff that's gone on in like Sweden and and obviously the the prime minister elections in Italy as someone who who is kind of you know an expert on the region what what are you seeing right now is like kind of the pulse in the UK and, and how that and and maybe the Italy elections are are going to affect the overall grasp the EU has on on the continent right now yeah, well, look, I mean, I met Georgia Maloney a couple of years ago when we were touring around Europe, and, and she is a formidable character and a formidable person. Um, I think she will do far better. She has a far more sort of um, philosophical foundation than some of the other um, populists who entered government a couple of years ago. And that isn't to take anything away um, from Salvini and, and the people around him, but but this is this is slightly different than that. Um, And I think the media is responding to the fact that it's slightly different from that. I mean, remember, a couple of years ago when Salvini took office and they had this coalition government in Italy and they had, you know, one of the first non-technocratic governments um, that had ever been seen, the media was saying, oh, of course, you've got these fascists in power and now they kill for Salvini back. (laughs) You know, now they're saying, oh, well, now you've really got the fascists in power. But, but, you know, I I think most of this audience will realize that about Maloney especially, uh, that is a whole load of nonsense. Um, She will have to contest with something really interesting, though, that I noticed in Italy as well, which is that the public don't actually have a particularly long period of a grace period that they give um, new politicians. You know, somebody can be elected on the crest of a populist wave, um, but about after a month's time maximum, it'll be like, yeah, okay, you're cool and all, but what have you done for us in those 30 days? And exponentially almost, that level of dissatisfaction grows and grows and grows. And that, as far as I can see, is is a very specifically Italian thing. So she has her work cut out for her, certainly. Uh, and then the other thing I think people should realize about you know, Italy and Italian politics and Italian elections is that she may well not be there for very long, um, in, in, in situ at least, but then she will leave office and then she'll probably come back to office. And, and, and that is the way Italian politics works. 
there is a constant churn of, of, of politicians and parties and, and, almost, and, and almost of principles as well. They, they, they tend to change their prioritization of politics and political philosophy a lot more than, than we are used to um, in the United States and in the United Kingdom. And that brings me to, to, to good old Liz Trust. Um, you know, I'm not a Liz Truss fan, to say the least, but I think she has been given a very, very uh, bad rap over the last couple of weeks for, for several reasons that are only really skin deep. The, the first being there is this Boris overhang that still looms large and there are still people in the Conservative Parliamentary Party who would prefer Boris Johnson to be uh, the leader and the Prime Minister still. They are, ta- they are exacting their discouragement on Liz Truss in the national media every single day. There are also Conservative Party donors who much preferred Boris Johnson and his wife Carrie Simmons because they are far more globalists, far more World Economic Forum friendly, uh, and they and they realise that while Liz Truss is still of that ilk, by the way, and many of her cabinet is of that ilk, by the way, uh, that she is probably a little bit more likely to sway with public opinion than Boris Johnson was. And that really tells you something. Because Boris Johnson, it wasn't as if he was a, a, a core you know, believer in anything but Boris Johnson. But Liz Truss actually... You know, for all her faults, does seem to does seem to actually listen. At least her, her, the people in her cabinet seem to actually listen as well. So you know, I think the last the, the, the crux of these economic problems that you're seeing in the United Kingdom now comes down to this: the the markets are no longer the markets, right? The the markets used to be the people and the consumers and what drives you know economic factors. That, actually, the markets are now big corporates and institutions. And what the markets don't like is the fact that, yes, Liz Truss is is borrowing more debt in order to deliver tax cuts. And of course, that's the wrong thing to do. Right. What you want to do is lower public spending and also deliver tax cuts. And so this is kind of like, well, she's half thatchering it. And that doesn't work from, from either side. And actually, Thatcher had a quote about that, right? If you stand in the middle of the road, you get knocked from both sides. And that's yeah. what Liz Truss is attempting to do right now. Yeah, it seems like there's a not only a big mess to clean up, but some of the policies, like you said, she's looking to implement or ride on are going to be, you know, leaving for a, quite a rocky road ahead. And then staying in the region and everything that's going mm. on with Europe right now, uh, well, it looks like everyone's calling for World War Three again. Uh, we've definitely heard some. It's past saber rattling. It's more like cowbelling now from the Biden regime. Uh, you know, we saw uh, Brennan out there this weekend, Petraeus out there this weekend. Tony Blinken was trying to dunk on Putin yesterday, saying that, you know, they're not scared of imminent nuclear war in the region and what would happen. Uh, this is probably the most irresponsible thing out of all the irresponsible things that this regime has done since it took office two years ago. How close do you think we are to this going live? And, and it's pretty interesting how it's kind of staying under the radar. You know, all the October surprises are rolling out now. Obviously, you have crime in the economy and the border that are affecting everybody here domestically. And it seems like not enough people were talking about some of the ridiculous comments that were going on over the course of the weekend. You know, le- legitimately talking about going to nuclear war and it's what seems like really soon. Yeah, that's uh, what they want. Yes. I mean... Every every um, you know inch of every 
rational person's being and, and every sort of still uh, rational part of every institution will resist that march to war. But um, unfortunately, you know, I, th I think about it like this, right? The challenges that we have now, they're not any more unnavigable, insurmountable, or, or complex as the challenges that the generations before us faced. But it just so happens that today we're weaker, um, we are less wise, and we are less inclined to arm ourselves even with the tools of, uh, uh, you know, re required to deliver a better tomorrow, let alone uh, begin to fight for one. And unless we resolve those problems, nothing good will happen. And every time I hear um, complaints about, you know, where the regime is, is taking us, the rot in the institutions, the FBI, the CIA, so on and so forth. And I think, I think I, I speak for a lot of people when I say this, it feels um, less and less that we can actually do something about it because we haven't actually challenged the foundational problems here. You know, the foundational problems uh, people will well be aware of that men are not men anymore. Um, you know, we don't have a philo political philosophy that we speak of anymore. We have politics, but we no longer have political philosophy that we speak about anymore, that we debate about anymore. Um, we don't have great and interesting political arguments and discussions across, you know, not the aisle, but multiple aisles at pubs. You know, we have a phrase in England, every pub's a parliament. And so when when we think about the, the um, you know, quick march for a potential third world war, and people really need to internalize that. That really is what we're talking about here. This is not. This is not hubris. This is not. Um, you know, you're not embellishing here. We are on the precipice of something like this, and all it will take is is one more bad decision on either side. The, the real problem, of course, is that both sides are making bad decisions over and over again. Uh, there, there was there was very little. Um, you know, a lot of people like to, because I, I am an advocate for peace. Can you believe it? Um, because because I do that so so uh, vociferously every day. People say, oh, you're a Putin apologist and blah, blah, blah. I don't think Putin should have invaded. How about that? Like, I actually don't believe that that was the right course of action. But nobody will take that into account. When I, when I say that, plus I don't believe that NATO and the UK and the EU and the United States' response is proportionate either. Yep. They're all bad actors on all sides, or at least they're bad decision makers on all sides. And again, this is the problem that comes back to my, my, my preamble to this. The problems are not different from the last generation, is that we are less wise than previous generations, and therefore we keep making these silly mistakes. So, um, yes, we were able to avoid... A, a, a nuclear catastrophe during the Cold War because of brave people making brave decisions, just about, by the way, just about. I'm not sure that we have those brave people making those brave decisions today. And so uh, a lot of people are now throwing their hands up and going, well, we're all going to die in nuclear war anyway, so what's the point? I, I totally understand that way of thinking right now. Yeah, it's it, and it's, it's a legit possibility. I think... Uh... You know, sometimes I watch the TV and I see the way the, the Biden regime and, and, and a lot of their administration officials talk down to the American public in such a condescending way. And part of me, I hope it's not true, because like you said, back in the 80s during the Cold War, there was always like the fear, you know, the fingers are like right off the button and, and it could happen at any second. You got to get underneath your desk and, and shelter in place and everything will be okay. 
But sometimes I feel like they push these green new energy policies on us, this new bold way of looking at the economy where everybody's poor and you're going to own nothing for the rest of your life, uh, where, you know, the new Hummer vehicles that are coming out are going to take four days to charge in places like California where you're not even allowed to charge them. And they go behind closed doors and you're like, you know what? They're not buying this shit. So either it's going to be like our great reset or our next new normal. And we'll just go to nuclear war and see if we could like con them into uh, buying into all these policies uh, post whatever happens there. Yeah. And the people who are advocating for for more war. Right. I, I, I was I was thinking about this the other day and I, I actually tweeted it in response to somebody. Um, I said in, in every conflict that, that I can remember, you know, from from the minute conflict was was known to be had the second the first shot was fired in other words uh we were searching for a route to peace right we had we had uh, gargantuan apparatus um at our disposal searching for peace there is such a thing called the united states institute for peace well the united states institute for peace today is calling for more war against (laughs) vladimir putin and russia Mm. The United Institutes, all of these entities, organizations, think tanks, individuals, writers, journalists, everything now, they're not searching for peace. They're searching for more war. Well, well, what is that? Is that psychosis? Have we, have we just got a regime of elites who are totally and utterly psychotic at the helm? Well, it, to an extent, yes. You know, I watched as Willie Nelson played with Beto O'Rourke in Texas the other day, and I thought to myself, how is Willie Nelson, you know, supposedly a peacenik hippie, playing on stage with a guy who is, you know, overtly talking about uh, not just withholding Americans' rights to to protect themselves against tyrannical government, which once upon a time, I think hippies would have even been like, yeah, man, like, we don't like big government. We want to, you know, we want the man off our backs, man, right? And then also a politician who is out there saying, we need to wage more war on, on in, in a foreign territory, because that is what every single left-wing, every single Democrat and most Republican candidates today are talking about. And yet this, these old hippies, maybe drug-addled, I don't know, but they seem to have become the elite. Obviously, they were they, they see themselves as the counterculture several decades ago, and they've become the elite, but with them, they've brought this like level of psychosis, I don't know, trauma, whatever it is, and they act like total, utter, the, the same kind of tyrants that they used to claim the, you know, the man, the capitalist man was back in the 60s and 70s. We have to replace them. We have to tell them you don't get to be in charge. You don't get to be the elites. We're the elites now. Yeah, that's really a surprise on a lot of people's uh, end of the world bingo cards to see the hippies cuddle up. Yeah. To, well, uh, it just it illustrates government. it illustrates how everybody's picked their team, and no matter what their team wants to do, their team is always correct. And you you brought it up earlier. It's where you know you can't be against what's going on with NATO unless you're a Putin apologist. It's like no, there's there's a very nuanced conversation to be had about these things. Are you sure? Because Elon Musk got taken to task yesterday. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's regretting giving uh, the Ukraine Starlink now after they were throwing him under the bus. Oops. And uh, That's all right. He hit back with a couple of memes. Raheem, I, I do want to switch gears a little bit. I saw one of your uh, recent write-ups. Uh, you, you gave a pretty good review. I've read the book, and we had Dr. Navarro on here last week who uh, hmm. it, talking about the Jared Kushner book. 
So, you know, we asked him about it because throughout the course of his two books, it seemed like it was an underlying undertone that, you know, he was a thorn in the side of everybody who wanted to get stuff done there. And Jared just had access to the president, you know, through all the uh, non-regular channels and and kind of did some things that were very America last throughout the course of the administration. And, uh, you know, Dr. Navarro was was just the way he is. He said, listen, I had no problems with the kid and then went out and railed on him for like 10 minutes and talked about how crappy he was Mm. in regards to all the things that he did. When you went ahead and read the book and for someone who was outside looking in throughout the course of the Trump administration, uh, but definitely talked to a lot of people who were on the inside throughout the course of Donald Trump's presidency. How do you feel as he was in a cog in that big machine uh, taken away from some of the things he talked about in his book? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, I like to think of myself as having been on the inside looking in almost because I was, you know, I was uh, plenty of times found myself in the West Wing, plenty of times found myself observing from the inside what was actually going on, especially in the first couple of years uh, of the Trump administration. And, um, you know, noting quietly to myself what the factions were, who the actors were and what claims they were making at the time, because because all of it shakes out in the long run, um, or, or, or at least we, we, we're used to that happening as, as long as. Uh, there are real journalists and real historians around to, to record these things. They shake out in the long run. And that's why I find it so important, by the way, uh, to read the opposition media. And I do count Jared's book as the opposition media because yeah. he was, he was, as you say, in opposition to a lot of the America first stuff that, that we had become so um, invariably, uh, you know, shoulder to the wheel about. Now, uh, the reason I, I gave it a, a, I wouldn't say glowing review, but at least a sympathetic review is because he, he didn't, he didn't, Sure, there were probably some lies by omission. Everybody does that in every book they write about themselves, right? You don't you don't tell people what color underpants you're wearing every day. You don't tell people what faults you have uh, necessarily, and and you know that's a very he has actually a very Trumpian streak in that regard. The book starts by him bigging up himself as a real estate person in New York. Well, that is a very Trumpian thing to do. And and you can hear almost the effect that Trump has had on Jared Kushner in that book, which is one of the first reasons that I stuck with it after the first couple of chapters. And they are difficult chapters, the beginning. The beginning four or five chapters are very difficult because it's him talking about himself and how great he is, and then him talking about his war with Bannon. Yep. Once you get past that you actually start to understand that Jared was never pretending to be anything other than the liberal New Yorker, Jared Kushner. And he saw his role almost as being very limited and defined to uh, the Middle East peace process stuff, to the um, uh, the, what, what, the pejorative of it is used, the, the jailbreak uh, legislation and all of that uh, stuff. Um and he didn't he didn't necessarily even claim to step out of those lanes throughout his tenure in the White House. It's also very clear in that book, by the way, because we all scratch our heads and have been scratching our heads for years and years asking, why? Why would Donald Trump keep this man or these people, you know, Javanka around? And it becomes very clear throughout the course of Jared's book precisely why. Uh, Donald Trump was a Democrat from New York. He has instincts that lean uh, towards the you know, uh, bleeding heart, the old school, bleeding heart liberal. And while a lot of people, I'm reading the Maggie Haberman book now, by the way, which I will have a review up on my Substack probably this coming weekend. Um, you know, a lot of those people will say Trump's nasty and mean and callous and fascist and blah, blah, blah. And actually Jared Kushner puts him into the light of, well, this is, this is my actually quite kind, 
father-in-law who put his arm around me and taught me and, and, and steered me and wasn't afraid to shout at me when I needed shouting at. And there are lots of these interesting anecdotes in the book about, you know, not necessarily a soft Trump, but certainly a more, a more um, nurturing Donald Trump. And so I think it was an interesting read for several reasons. Again, there are probably plenty of lies by omission in there. But what's really interesting is Jared really comes out of that book uh, telling us almost between the lines that he shouldn't really necessarily be in a next administration, but that if he were, it should be something very set aside from the White House and the day-to-day machinations of government. And I suggest in my uh, write-up, in my review of that book, that, that Jared might actually do a pretty good job of being UN ambassador, for instance. And I don't think that would be kind of wildly out of where Donald Trump might put him. No, you know what? When, when I saw that that take from you, I was like, that is actually probably one place where he could fit in and, and thrive a little bit instead of having to worry about hyping himself up in, in, in future books that he'd write and then talk about how he has to, you know, go to war with everybody inside the Oval Office before he decides to go to war with any policy or, uh, you know, thing he's trying to enact for the American people. And I think uh, that's probably the least abrasive place that he could go. And uh, he'd pretty much just be carrying the water by putting his little, you know, weirdo Jared Kushner spin on it. So I, I definitely think that that'd be a good avenue for him. And uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see moving forward. Raheem, over the course of the next five weeks, Unless there is nuclear holocaust, we're not going to be talking about anything other than the midterm elections. There are so many really important things that we need to be talking about. There's all the stuff that you're always investigating at the National Pulse regarding, like, the origin of Covens and, and the vaccine things, crime, the inflation, the economy, this, that, and the other thing. But there is kind of a, a, a path to at least slowing down the current state of things if we get people out in record numbers on November 8th. What are some of the ways that... Uh, you've been taking a look at the midterm elections and what are some of the races that you think are m- probably must wins for at least America first to make sure we can stack numbers enough to uh, pump the brakes on this regime? You know, um, I used to do um, politics on the ground as, as you know, both a profession and a hobby. And um, I'm so bored of it. I'm so bored of it that, that I'm almost completely disengaged from, um, you know, the, the, the ground to ground races now. And I think I told you this last time as well, you know, you asked, I think you asked me about, gosh, uh, Georgia or something last time around. I said, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and fundamentally, uh, there has come a point now in my life where, um, I don't care because it's not really for me to care. I'm not a voter in this country. I'm not a, a political consultant to any campaign or, or, or political party anymore. Uh, and nobody nobody is expecting me to make, uh, you know, uh, ground-based recommendations. And by the way, there are lots of people who do such an amazing job at it, that, that especially from, from the MAGA side. You look at people like Ryan Gadusky and so on and so forth. But it doesn't really concern me to go through the, the, the detailed polling on this stuff nowadays. Me now, what I tend to focus on uh, as my hobby, because the news is still my day-to-day uh, job um, is 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 the overarching trajectory of of, of the political philosophy, and that can be a, a, a candidate level, uh, a party level, a movement level. Um, and what I'm seeing now is. Once again, you have had a Republican Party on an, at a national level who have been afraid to um, uh, assail the left on the turf that we should be very comfortable in, actually. You know, let's let, put, put it this way. Uh, in the last couple of months, you had that Sam Brinton cross-dressing character um, and uh, the other chap, the, the Greek chap, Satanist, yep. in the White House. 
um, that, that we uncovered over at the National Pulse, and I know others did work on that as well, but not a peep, not a peep out of the Republican National Party about these things. And you might say, well, you know, they're busy dealing with the ground races and the polling shows that actually these are the messages that resonate on crime and the economy and whatever. Yes, of course, but we we shouldn't act like a political, massive political party apparatus's capability to deal with uh, incidents and issues is finite. It's inherently, you know, uh, uh, completely up to them what they want to focus on and how much time they want to spend on it. And the fact, I understand you don't need to make these people a national campaign concern, but the fact that nobody, nobody within the GOP apparatus has come out and looked at things like that, that nobody within the GOP apparatus has looked at the fact that Pfizer, for instance, is now trying to change its flu shots into mRNA shots, uh, that nobody wants to talk about this stuff writ large, which, which people should understand is more important than your day-to-day politics and it's and it's it actually is in the long run more important than your current crime rates and your current economic growth rates it's about the future trajectory of the nation and western civilization and the rnc has no answers to any of those questions well that tells me this that tells me exactly why on the generic ballot across the board we have seen the republican party struggle so much against a weak you know, let's be honest, disabled Democrat Party. Yes. They have a they have a, a, a person in the White House without a brain in their head. They have a, a candidate in, in Pennsylvania without a brain in their head, and they still cannot seem to pull ahead in a convincing fashion ahead of these ahead of these things. Now think about it this way. Uh, the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom today, everybody knows the Labour Party would completely fuck up the economy overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, it has, has absolutely nothing to offer the country, has, hasn't had anything to offer the country since Tony Blair. And even Tony Blair, the only thing he could offer the country was a, was a catchphrase called Britannia and ruinous economic policies. But the Labour Party in the United Kingdom are currently polling 20 points ahead, 20 points ahead of the Conservative Party. And Why? Because the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom is now consulting with people like Frank Luntz. And Frank Luntz is telling people inside the Conservative Party that, hey, what what the public really cares about is Ukraine and, you know, all of these other things that actually the public don't care about. What they care about are two massive things, of course. Where you currently are, which is which encompasses everything, the crime, the economic data, all of that. Can you f- put food on the table? Can you fill up your gas tank? But also the, what, what kind of country you're leaving to your children and your children's children. And, and, and it is my contention that the Republican Party's failure to even remotely take one step into that second area of focus is why they are struggling so much. Now, that isn't to say that I think they're going to lose. They may not take the Senate. They may not take the Senate. I still think they are 60% likely to take the Senate, mostly, you know, likely to take the House right now. But um, it should be way, way better than that. Because, listen, if you can't beat these guys, what are you going to do when they start putting up candidates who actually have a brain in their head? Yeah, I mean, you've got the potential of, well, everybody could say it's for her show or for her book, but it looks like Hillary Clinton's at least weighing the options of running again in 2024. A lot of people don't want it, but they're, they're, she is an alternative choice to the radical progressivism uh, that they currently have in Washington, D.C. right now. In addition to that, there's a lot of mumblings that uh, because of his national uh, campaign ads that are going out now for California, we'll probably see somebody like Gavin Newsom uh, get in the race as well on the Democrat side. And, no, you make a whole lot of sense. It seems like 
we're so worried about every little thing that happens in all these races, like, oh, Herschel Walker's son came out against him, even though he's been for him for the last two years, like, legitimately on, on all over social media, and Peter put out a hit piece about Dr. Oz killing puppies, and, and John Gibbs worked at a think tank where they don't appreciate women enough, uh, that it's like, oh, no, the race is over, the midterms is over, and just a whole lot of dooming happens. When you, when you look at the state of everything, the entire world is on fire, but nowhere more, well, maybe in Donbass, but then in the United States, we should be having resounding wins across the board in most of the House and Senate races across the country and stack a couple governors as well. But we always do it. I mean, failed leadership from Mitch McConnell, obviously. I think a lot of uh, him assisting Joe Biden in passing any legislation up to this point was something that he could use at the midterms to show how bad he's wrecked the country. But instead, everybody on the Republican Party went and tied him to it. So kind of backfired in his face. And then Everyone who we've had on the show, whether or not they think uh, Kevin McCarthy is going to be the leader uh, of the House next year and the Speaker, uh, they still say that what he's done with that commitment to America, even though Newt Gingrich has had his hands on it and Donald Trump pretty much approved it, says that it's a good start, but it doesn't go into enough detail ahead of the midterm elections on real solutions, which is one of the things, you know, the top talking points that the Democrats are saying. They're saying the Republicans don't have a plan to combat what's going on now. They want to sunset Medicare and uh Social Security and and obviously the abortion issue, which, which are not really huge issues to anybody who's living in this world and, and you know, navigating through this economy right now. And uh, we just haven't taken I feel like people like yourself, you know, I, I did say outside looking in in the White House before knowing that you were on the inside, but still hoping and, and vowing for a future Raheem Kassam involved in, in, in American politics in some way, shape or form. I still wouldn't hate it. I know our listenership would definitely appreciate it. So I tried to trap you there, but you blew it right back in my face. So good, good for you for being smarter than me. But that's the reason why we always ask you to come on the show. Um, last thing I want to touch on you, Raheem, is, is National Pulse. You guys are cranking out so much stuff and so much content. You told us about some things that were going on last time, maybe opening up an office uh, back in, in the U.K. And, 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 you know, growing and diversifying. In the last couple of months, what are some of the things you've been working on there, and, and what can you tell our listenership maybe coming down the pike? Yeah, so just uh, to conclude on the last point as well, look, I, I understand that there will be a lot of people who listen to the thing that I'm saying about this current midterm election and think, no, but obviously, you know, you appeal to people on the economy and crime and all this stuff. Yes, obviously, that's the point. I'm, I'm, I'm casting it aside because it's obvious. I'm casting it aside because most people, when they look at the trajectory of the nation today, they understand instinctively um, that Republicans will will be more likely to represent their their values and their um, you know immediate concerns um, more than the Democrats have in in just two years, right? Like I'm 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 counting that as a given. It's not up for me to go out there and convince the public of that. It's up for the party apparatus to do that, and let's see how well they do it. What I'm trying to just say, and 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 I I, I just want to clarify this because some people will try and take away something different from what I said. Is that this should have been a re- this election, these midterms, should have been a referendum about moral purpose. It should have been a referendum on the moral values of the nation. And that should have undergirded everything. You can then go out and and create whatever flyers and billboards and television ads uh, as you like and and put the politics back into that here, there and everywhere. But at no point was that was that signaled from the outset that this is actually a referendum about moral purpose. And and the Democrats actually understand that they try to make everything about moral purpose, which is ironic, given the fact that they have no moral purpose. Uh, but they understand that they they tug on the heartstrings and they go about it that way, and that was what that was what so much of the last couple of months worth of Democrat messages has been about. 
Um, in terms of the National Pulse, look, uh, we have probably uh, in the next, what is it now, October, November, in the next six months, some some big sweeping changes we're going to make. It's been a particularly hard time given the economic climate and given that we were 100% reader funded and that we were 100% small, real small donor funded, or I should really say 98% small donor funded, um, depending on what your idea of small is. But uh, it's been difficult. It's been difficult for us to keep going because people are using that money. You know, we we sub, we really get about eight dollars a month from each uh, uh, donation that we get. Um, p- people are using that money to put food on their tables and gas in their tanks, and and obviously with the things that are going on across the country at the moment, that's incredibly difficult for us. So I think you know we are toying with as much as I am against it. We are toying with now having to paywall some of the content because we we do churn out some of the best news and investigative content yes. uh, in the United States today in in the Western world. I think um, and and you know not everything can be a um, uh, what do you call it a um, uh, 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 home run. Not everything can be a home run, but um, but we do like to think we, we break real news and we go deeper than, than most places go on the news. Um, and unfortunately, it's it's it, while it was self-sustaining about a year ago, it's no longer got to that point. So we're making some big underlying changes. Uh, what other people have to understand as well from, from the outside looking into an organization like the Pulse is we're so small um, and, and that allows us to do so many, so many things so quickly, uh, but it also allows us to be a target very easily. We don't have big apparatus behind us uh, like some of the other big uh, conservative news sites do. So we don't you know, have retained in-house counsel. And when we get attacked, as we are almost every week, uh, it, it takes thousands and thousands of dollars out of our um, coffers to, to hire lawyers and to fight the left and the people who are coming after us. And that happens more often than you think. And we don't talk about it publicly, but that happens all of the time. Um, and we're easier to censor as well, because because as a, as a result of our size, um, we're not necessarily able to take on big tech in the in the same way that uh, some of the bigger organizations like the Project Veritas is and all that can. Now, look, obviously, uh, we want to grow. And, and as we grow, we will g- gain in strength and power and ability to do all of those things. Uh, but it's been a tough year for us in that regard. We, we have They've come after us. We have an article actually that's going up shortly about this stuff uh, to, to give an example into this. But they've come after us like never before in the last year. Um, but we're still here. We're still alive, despite their, their their hardest efforts to try and wipe us off the face of the map. And in the next six months, um, we are going to have a lot, a lot of a different kind uh, of national pulse. We're, we're restructuring the organization. Uh, we're going to uh, change our focus a little bit, uh, shifting with with what the public is more concerned about. You know, it was it was all well and good for us during the Trump administration to to bang on about China and TikTok and all of that stuff. And all of that stuff remains true and important. But the public uh, interest is is changing. The public focus is changing at the moment. And it's only right for us, given that we call ourselves the national pulse, uh, to reflect the public mood better in that regard too. So you'll see a, a slight shift in focus uh, over the next couple of months uh, from us and and probably a shift as well in, in the type of media that we put out there. The written content, as much as it is my baby and as much as I love writing, uh, is consumed less and less nowadays. And so we're going to have to change with the times with that as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Mm. Trust me. Uh, it sounds like you're uh, kind of busy to say the least. And, and like you guys who stay ahead of the curve, on the most part, and have some of the most comprehensive, you know, news coverage, and uh, have some of the best journalists out there. You have to diversify and kind of 
uh, move with the times and stay ahead of it if you want to continue to be cutting edge like you guys are. We're both subscribers here on Steak for Breakfast, Noah and myself, and uh, regardless if you go paywall or not, you'll still be having our uh, humble contributions to your noble task. Raheem, where are we having everybody find the National Pulse, yourself on social medias, et cetera? We're going to live link him in the show description today. Yeah, the nationalpulse.com is the URL for all the news. And if you want to support our work, you actually get access to a very fun private Discord chat channel that I know you guys are in. Um, and that is uh, at fundrealnews.com because that's what you would be doing, funding real news. Um, and here's the thing, you know, I like to tell people all the time, you know, these big corporate news outlets that, that change the world with a singular tweet or a singular fake news article, they have billions upon billions of dollars at their disposal. You know, the BBC, CNN, CNN, all of these guys, billions upon billions of dollars. We run on about a half a million dollar budget a year, and that includes everything we do from our from our salaries to our hosting costs to our travel and expenses and investigations and subscriptions and promotion and, and mailing out our members and all of that. Uh, it's pretty cheap. It's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, uh, efficient what we do here. And so if you want to help us continue to do that and continue to grow, the website is fundrealnews.com. And I thank you uh, for always having me on and let me give that plug. No, absolutely, and we'll continue to do it. Obviously, we're going to see you in 25 episodes for our 200th show. Listen, if, if you're on the fence about subscribing to National Pulse and you do any kind of media or journalism yourself, there's no way that you can have Raheem Kassam invite himself onto your show unless you're in the Discord with him. So I'm just putting that out there. It's another added perk that he didn't talk about when uh, you know he was out there giving that hype piece for, for the National Pulse right now. And uh, we really appreciate you coming down. We love your insight. You always say we let you talk, but this is what our audience and our listenership really likes to hear. It's more of a personal you. Uh, you, you give an extremely diverse you know, uh, report on everything that's going on. And uh, like I said, I can't wait for our 200th episode and to have you back, Raheem. I look forward to it. Thank you. And we look forward to having you. This is the editor-in-chief of the National Polls, Raheem Kassam. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Cheers, mate. We have some more on our breaking news. NATO this morning calling those mysterious leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines sabotage. Oh. The gas pipelines, there's two of them. They run from Russia to Europe. And this comes at a tipping point time for Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Overnight, the Russians touting sham voting results in occupied territories of Ukraine. These bogus results showing a majority there in favor of joining Russia, that's no surprise. This, by the way, violates international law. The State Department says it signals a very desperate Putin. These actions from President Putin signal very, signal very clearly that he knows he is losing. He's on his back heels. Oh. And he's making every attempt to intimidate those who would stand up to him. I want to bring in former CIA director John Brennan and the author of Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad, which is now on sale in paperback. Um, I do want paperback. to ask you about what this may mean. These sham voting results at a time where you have former President Medvedev, who's a current Russian government official, saying yesterday that Russia, and we look, we've heard this before, but he's making this point, that Russia could use nuclear weapons if sort of its existence is threatened. Well, now you have these votes uh, of people saying that this should be basically Russian territory. Do you see any concerns between his comments and these sham votes? Well, I think uh, Putin and Medvedev are searching for things to do and to say 
that will indicate uh, to their people as well as to others that they are not losing this war as badly as they are. As I pointed out, this is a sham election. It is illegitimate, illegal to hold such an election in a foreign country. And Medvedev has no idea in terms of what NATO might do and respond uh, in terms of what uh, Russia might opt to do on the nuclear front. Uh, but I, it's clear that uh, Russia is in a downward spiral. Uh, battlefield setbacks are coming one after the other. There is domestic opposition to this partial mobilization. So I think they're going to see some additional saber rattling and also trying to consolidate uh, their hold on the portion of Ukraine that they do occupy. You're seeing this mass exodus of fighting age men from Russia as Putin is drafting them. You've seen some attacks at recruiting areas. We're even hearing about intercepts of these grumblings between top military officials. At what point is this going from grumblings to destabilization of Putin's regime in Russia, in your opinion? Well, I think we're seeing early signs of what is, I think, serious political opposition to Putin's war in Ukraine. Uh, as these young Russian men are trying to flee the country, it's clear that a large part of the Russian population is not supportive of this military conflict. And secondly, these young Russians know that they will just be sent to slaughter uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainian forces have done exceedingly well as far as being able to withstand the Russian onslaught. And uh, the number of Russian soldiers killed in the tens of thousands, I think, is clearly sending a chill inside of uh, Russia right now. So I think we're going to see more of this. The question is, what will be the breaking point and what can Putin do to try to reverse what uh, clearly is a very, very bad trajectory for him? Do you think he's stable? Do you think he's well? I think he is uh, an autocrat, authoritarian leader who is feeling increasingly beset by problems and by the miscalculations that he has made as far as going into Ukraine. Uh, he's isolated. Uh, he is also trying to hold on to power. Uh, so I think we're seeing increasingly desperate uh, steps uh, that are being taken. And if these explosions in the gas, uh, undersea gas pipelines uh, in, off the Danish coast or acts of sabotage, I think we're going to see that is more former that CIA director, to one of the architects of to, uh, try to the plot against the president as well. CIA director John Brennan right there giving some insight, LOL, of the situation in Russia. Are you using the same script uh, about Trump in the election? It went from, uh, <laughs> yeah, orange man bad to nuclear man bad now. Yeah. So... This is kind of where we at, sneaking under the radar with all the stuff that's going on domestically over the weekend. Obviously, we have the midterm elections, a lot of controversies going on there. All the October surprises are coming in and out. There was a hit piece on Dr. Oz. Apparently, he killed puppies. No, he didn't. It was completely debunked in a like PETA-sponsored hit piece. There was also, uh, last night, we saw Christian Walker, the gay son of Herschel Walker, go out and, and make uh, quite a few bold statements via his Twitter account, which... Thank God for all of the real conservatives out there hammered him with receipt after receipt of him supporting his dad throughout his campaign and trying to figure out who has paid him for his services this close. But, yeah, uh, if you missed it over the weekend, a lot of the Sunday morning news circuit focused around imminent nuclear war with, with Russia, and uh, it's pretty horrifying to think. Um, Brennan wasn't the only one. I saw uh, former disgraced General Petraeus jumped on uh, fake news ABC this weekend 
and he was parroting a lot of the same talking points. Let's hear him. And, and, and do you take the threat? I mean, you have to take. The you have to take seriously. the threat seriously. And, 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 and we talked about a yes. precedent set by the United you, States. You right? have to take that seriously. And Jake Sullivan has publicly stated that the U.S. has communicated to Russia what would happen uh, in response to that. And what would happen? Well, again, I have deliberately not talked to Jake about this. Yeah. I mean, just to give you a hypothetical, yeah. um, we would respond by leading a NATO, a collective effort, that would take out every Russian, con Russian conventional force that we can see and identify Russian on the battlefield in Ukraine and also in Crimea and every ship on the, in the Black Sea fleet. So it would bring America and NATO into the war. I it, mean, it, it would it, be an Article 5 situation, it, it, basically. I, not an Article 5 uh, because so they're not part of NATO, but well, the, it, would the, be, it would be a U.S. and NATO response to something that is absolutely... I mean, the argument made the radiation would, would, would <clears throat> extend into NATO countries. It effectively would be an attack on, on NATO. Yeah, and perhaps you can make that case. The other case is that this is so horrific that there has to be a response it cannot go unanswered but it doesn't expand it doesn't it's not nuclear for nuclear you don't want to again get into a nuclear escalation here but you have to show that this cannot be uh, accepted in any way mm -hmm. so if russia goes over like their third or fourth red line <laughs> the entire world is going to destroy them Okay, if you if you step over this line, not then the, we're serious. Not the last, not the minor incursion. Serious. Not the annexations of Puerto Rico. Serious, sir. I mean Dunbas. Serious, sir. This one. Oh, I don't know if you heard. We're going to get to it in our news one later. We have confirmed um, our first Hispanic president as well. Oh, you didn't hear that one? No. Oh, you're going to love it. Um. Oh, actually, wait. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, does he get a T-shirt or? Hmm. Hispanics for Biden? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they're very much not for Biden. At least yeah. everybody that I've seen. New polls are suggesting up as many as 64% of Hispanics are walking away and planning on voting Republican in this upcoming election. Yeah. Uh, soy boy in completely empty suit. The non-intimidating Secretary of State Tony Blinken gave some comments yesterday uh, regarding this, which again is, is something that as far as the Biden administration goes, remember... This issue takes away from all of their failures. So while all the other stuff is actually going on in the news, the economy, the stock market, midterm election, October surprises, like I mentioned, you know, they're just championing this narrative, uh, you know, regarding Russia and, and showing some very significant posturing like we haven't seen since Joe Biden referred to him as a war criminal and a killer. Let's hear him take a victory lap on the bombings of the Nord Stream pipelines. First, it's important to make clear that uh, these pipelines, that is Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, uh, were not uh, pumping gas into Europe uh, at this time. Nord Stream 2 never became operational, as is well known. Nord Stream 1 has been shut down for weeks uh, because of Russia's weaponization of energy. What we've been doing, and we've also been working on this together uh, for many, many weeks, uh, as we saw the Russian aggression in Ukraine and as we saw the uh, ongoing weaponization of energy by Russia, is to work very closely with uh, European partners as well as countries around the world to make sure that there is enough energy uh, on world markets. And so we've significantly increased our uh, production as well as um, making available to Europe liquefied natural gas. Oh. 
um, and we're now the leading supplier of LNG we are. Uh, to Europe to help compensate for any uh, gas or oil that it's losing as a result well, that's of Russia's sad aggression we're not producing a whole against lot of Ukraine. It. Yeah. Uh, we've worked to release uh, oil from our strategic petroleum reserve oh, good. to make sure as well that there was oil on the markets and to help keep prices down. Um, we've engaged with the my, European Union my gas is uh, seven and established right months ago a task force Only to in work India. directly with Europe on ways to uh, decrease demand uh, to help get through the winter, as well as to pursue um, additional supply and to find ways to uh, speed up the transition to renewables, even as we're getting through uh, this, uh, this challenging period. So all of that work is, um, is ongoing. Um, my own sense, and I, I mentioned this the other day, is, look, there's a lot of hard work to do to, to make sure that um, countries and partners get through the winter. Oh. Europe itself <laughs> has taken very significant steps to both um, Shut decrease down their demand, own, uh, their, but also uh, look at ways to um, tell their people uh, to take cold showers, the transition to renewables at the same time. Oh, renewables, perfect. And that's working out well. Ultimately, um, this is also a tremendous opportunity. Sure it's a it tremendous is. opportunity oh. to once and for all destroy the middle the class on Russian energy, Damn it, I was and thus to take away from uh, Vladimir Putin. The weaponization of energy is a means of advancing uh, his uh, imperial designs. Uh, that's very significant. So he starts yeah, and That offers tremendous um, strategic opportunity Strategery. for um, for the years to come. But meanwhile, we're determined to do everything we possibly can uh, to make sure that the consequences of all of this are not borne by citizens in our countries, or for that matter, around the world. The only place you're going to feel it is in your wallet. Yeah, and here. Yep. So they want to cut down the dependency on Russian power supplies. Yes. Oil and gas. Something that at the end of the day... Who, who told us? Who, who told them that they were doing that? I mm. wonder. Somebody we know. If there was only a man who wanted the world to stop killing itself. Mm. With, a, with a healthy orange hue. Can't, can't think of his name off the top of my head. I'm no. sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> Tucky weighed in last night on his show. I've got two sound bites from him, uh, you know, kind of rounding up this narrative that we're putting together for you that even though you might not be hearing about it, everyone in our government is working exclusively on behalf of the rest of the world, not us. Yes, potentially going to war with a nuclear superpower oh, and bringing all of its NATO friends with it. Let's hear Tucky give his uh, first sound bite here. The Biden administration is responsible either directly or through proxies for the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines yes. and the environmental catastrophe and the economic collapse that will certainly follow. That is true. It's done. So the question is, where does that leave us? Well, they're warming up the to saying it was empty. This well, act all, leaves us, the United States, with no option but total war with Russia. There is no off-ramp now. <laughs> there is no way out. We are all in, mm. no matter what that means, no matter where it goes. Are you shocked by this? Was there a vote on this? Did someone ask your opinion? No. But it's been happening for months in slow motion. It's been hidden from public view by the near total blackout imposed by America media, media outlets. She probably didn't know any of the details. For example, in March, the Turkish government tried to broker a peace in Ukraine, and they came very, very close. Yep. It wasn't reported widely. Ukraine was prepared to guarantee neutrality, meaning it would not join NATO. That's what the Russians wanted above all. And in return for that, the Russian government would withdraw its forces from Ukraine. And that might have been a neat solution. Certainly for the rest of us, the global economy wouldn't need to be destroyed. Nobody would die in a nuclear war. 
Negotiations to that point advanced to the stage that Vladimir Putin pledged to meet with Zelensky to sign a truce treaty, and Zelensky was ready for it too. And we're quoting, I'm ready for a dialogue. Did you announced. say truce treaty? Mm-hmm. But sadly, Zelensky could not act alone. You want to do a. Despite uh, what you may hear in NBC News, Zelensky is not the independent leader of a democratic nation. No, not even close. That is a fiction. Zelensky is a client of the Biden administration, yes. which runs his country. Mm-hmm. And ideologues within the Biden administration did not want a negotiated peace in Ukraine. They wanted all along, and it's very clear now, a regime change war against Russia, or peace, period. Peace of the so business. that's what they are now getting. Mm. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're kind of there. I mean, no, you're pretty much in the news. You kind of have an idea of what's going on every time we come into the studio and, and jump on the show for the most part you've at least heard about a lot of the things this is kind of flying under your radar too mm, yeah i mean when you woke up this morning was the first thing on your mind was like wow there's a, a a highly great potential of us going to nuclear war with russia like imminently well i mean i did see an article uh, about how nuclear war might not be a bad thing oh that was uh where was that Huff Post. No, of course Could a it was. small nuclear war, because nuclear war is always small. Right. Like when, you know, worldwide catastrophe. Reverse global warming. Oh. Nuclear war could reverse global warming by Dean Praetorius. I'm I'm can only assume it's a joke, but I'm pretty sure it's not. You did hear about did you hear about the Hummer pickup trucks? The the complete E V ones? The ones that Joe Biden was riding around in earlier this year. They did like a little fact check expose on it. Mm-hmm. Four days to charge. Four days. <laughs> if you come with, if you buy the standard charger for your home that it comes with, now if you go out and break the bank and put the $35,000 charger in your home, not only do you completely use more electric than your entire block to charge it, it still takes 27 hours to charge it. So it's just like an actual Hummer. Yes. It's like... Except this time it sits in your garage. Grossly just eight miles per gallon. Yes. EV if if you're lucky and uh, four days to charge <laughs> eight suns per gallon I think one of the biggest um, stark comparisons that a lot of people are missing here is who exactly Russia is I know we keep saying nuclear superpower but the fact of the matter is we've played a lot of the JV teams in our past couple wars namely Iraq and Afghanistan and they were just under the conventional military lines in both cases, and we had a tough time with them. Tucker reminds us all that uh, we're not dealing with the broken-down Saddam Hussein army here. As a best-case scenario, you were able to kill Vladimir Putin before he could launch those 6,000-odd missiles against the United States or any other country. Where would that leave Russia, the country he controls? Russia is not Iraq. Russia represents an eighth of the world's total landmass. It is a huge country and a highly fractious country with a large and very restive Muslim population. So think this through, just for one second, what are the chances that in the ensuing chaos, which we are forcing on Russia, in that chaos, what are the chances that one of those 6,200 nuclear weapons might wind up in the hands of someone who is truly crazy and dangerous to us and to the world? Well, let's see. What happened to Saddam Hussein's stockpiles of conventional weapons after American forces captured Saddam Hussein in Tikrit in December of 2003 and changed the regime there? Well, lots of Americans died and the country split apart. So multiply that outcome times infinity 
(laughs) and you understand what our leaders are proposing here and just how deranged they are. And they should know better because they've done this before. But they learn nothing. They were never held to account and they never learned. Mm -hmm. If you're not punished, you don't learn. And that's the truth right there. You know, you have to just keep in in mind that a lot of these people in in the Biden administration are Obama retreads and they feel like they have unfinished business. One of the biggest embarrassments of the entirety of the Obama uh, presidency was the failed, you know, everything from top to bottom with Russia, from Hillary Clinton's embarrassing button pushing to, you know, Crimea and the other things, the, the first occupation of Dunbas under Barack Obama. And regardless of whether or not they had changed the regime whose party currently holds power in Ukraine, uh, they still feel like they have a big black eye from Vladimir Putin and one that they think they can actually get him back on. And when you look at the top, and I'm not just talking about presidential leadership here, the Austins, the Millies, etc., we are not prepared on any level to make any kind of progress in defeating Russia on the battlefield. And, uh, you know, as we're getting ready to jump in here with one of our guests, we are going to get a little bit more insight from someone who uh, writes about it a little bit in some of his substacks. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a syndicated columnist and opinion editor at Newsweek. He's also the host of Josh Hammer Show. Well, kind of spoiled it there. Josh Hammer, he's joining us for the first time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to join you. No, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? Everything is good. It's it's busy, never a dull moment, but uh, it's a good kind of busy, so I can't complain too much. No, that's a good thing when, when you're in the kind of business of we are, you a little bit bigger than us. But, you know, there's always something to at least talk about at the end of the day, uh, depending on, on how bad it gets, which has been pretty bad lately, not, not going to lie. Um, so, but before we get into any of the news, you've had a pretty successful launch to your podcast earlier this year. You want to let our listenership know a little bit about what you got going on there? Sure, I appreciate it. So, yeah, back in early February, we launched my own podcast, which... The name is pretty easy to find, just called The Josh Hammer Show. You can find it anywhere you normally get your podcast. It's It's been great. I mean, we're, uh, well, how, how long is that now? It's eight months in. I mean, hard to believe. Um, you know, I'm more, I'm more of a written guy by background. I You know, I'm a syndicated columnist. I, I'm normally of the written word. So this whole kind of deep dive into the audio space has been a bit of a new foray for me. But I also co-host the Edmund Burke Foundation's NatCon Squad podcast, so I have my foot in that door as well. It's been a lot of fun. So, you know, I would encourage listeners to go check it out. If you're listening to this particular podcast, I'm sure that you'll like what you hear from my own as well. Nice. And, and we're going to live link that in the show description today as well, in addition to your social medias. So so touching on some things that happened recently, we had Hurricane Ian, uh, you know, kind of decimate Florida uh, the way it did. We did see some interesting response times out of the Biden administration. Obviously, we've confirmed our first Hispanic president yesterday uh, via Joe Biden's commentary. But believe it or not, that was not the the worst of it all. We did have Kamal Harris give those really off color, pun yeah. intended, equitable hurricane relief comments that I know you kind of hammered her on on social media. When you see stuff like that in a situation, I mean, there's a lot of different situations you want to talk about, like education reform and and prison reform, stuff that's going on with the economy. And you want to make, uh, you know, flammable, uh, equitable human comments like she usually does. That's fine. But when you're talking about where there's literally bodies that are not cold yet in Florida and she's talking about Hispanics and and African-Americans getting uh, hurricane relief before white people, that that pretty much was uh, a no-go, I think, from anybody's standpoint. You want to weigh in on that a little bit? It's disgusting. I mean, it's disgusting and it's vile. I I mean, why do these people view literally everything through the prism of race? 
I, I mean, I'm not that old of a guy. I mean, I'm 33 years old. And when I was growing up through, I, w- I went to public school, actually. I'm a proud of public school, K through 12. When I went to public school in New York State, which is where I'm originally from, I bounced around quite a bit since then. You know, I, I, I came of age with Martin Luther King Jr. being the closest thing to our public school systems, kind of a secular patron saint. And, you know, if Martin Luther King Jr. stood for like literally one proposition, it is judge us not on the content of our character, but on the con. Sorry, judge us not on the on the color of our skin, but on the content of our character and the merits of our ideas and our and what we, what we bring to the table as human beings, obviously. But the, the left just turns all of that on its table these days. I mean, they are actively repudiating the, the greatest legacy of the civil rights movement that just one or two generations ago, they stood right behind. So for Kamala to play the race card, when people of all races here in my state, the state of Florida, are struggling. I mean, many have lost their homes, their fortunes, their careers, their savings, their, their automobiles, their air, family, family heirlooms, you name it. I mean, the Gulf Coast of Florida is a total mess right now. I, my, my grandma actually has a house in, in Naples, Florida. Thank goodness it was okay. But you know, I have friends in Sanibel Island, Marco Island. They, they are dealing with the wreckage. And you know what? Who the hell cares whether they're white, brown, black, yellow, blue, purple, red? It doesn't matter. These are human beings who need help. But the left is just so in hock right now to this intersectional paradigm that is the lens through which they view the world is intersectionality this kind of dichotomy between the oppressor class and the oppressed and when when you view everything through that prism i guess you kind of come to the race card right out of the gate even in the aftermath of a cat four nearly a cat five hurricane but it's really vile stuff and i love that we're talking about it on this show i've talked about it on various programs as well i am waiting for the mainstream media to note just how vile and how horrific and really how fundamentally anathematic it is to the very notion of american uh, exceptionalism and just the american creed yeah, we're not going to hold our breath. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> some of the normal hires for, for the Biden regime include furry Satanists and people who have severe gender confusion. So I guess we'll have to kind of take it from there. But like you said, it is extremely disgusting and, and definitely uncalled for and something that, you know, we hope after the midterms we won't have to deal with too much longer. Now, now you've spoken recently at NatCon 3 with a couple of our friends, Amanda Milius and Theo Wold, are both reoccurring and frequent guests on our show. You talked about um, good originalism after Dobbs, and uh, I wanted to let our listenership hear a little bit of your piece. I'm going to find it and uh, link it in the show description today as well. Sure, yeah. So at NatCon 3, I gave a speech uh, what, what, uh, the title of the speech was, was Common Good Originalism After Dobbs. So, you know, I, I'm in the pol- political commentary space, but I am a lawyer by background. I still kind of have half a foot in that world. I do a lot of federal society talks on law school campuses for lawyers chapters. Nice. I've actually published some pieces of, of legal scholarship. And com- Common Good Originalism is kind of a term that I coined, which is basically trying to more or less kind of split the baby between uh, Adrian Vermeule of Harvard Law School, who has proposed what he calls common good constitutionalism and the originalist kind of status quo, which has been kind of the, the default right of center constitutional interpretation for the past 40 years. The upshot of what I call common good originalism is that the original meaning of a particular legal provision is controlling, but 
that original meaning can only be understood as being directly downstream of overarching substantive principles of natural law principles of ideas of justice and the general welfare that are right there in the preamble of the constitution. And I was basically trying to argue for the continued relevance of common good originalism, even in the aftermath of the Dobbs Supreme court victory on abortion and various other victories that we had last term, but that was a great conference in general. So I'm also a research fellow at the Emin Burke foundation, which, which puts on these uh, national conservative conferences. This is our third U.S. conference. From my perspective, it was just a rousing success. Uh, you, you mentioned Amanda, Theo. They're both friends of mine. Uh, they were terrific. It, it, it was just really fantastic stuff. And for those of you out there who have not kind of consumed your NACON content, you can go to the National Conservatism YouTube page where we're slowly kind of putting up the videos of the speeches. There, there's some great, great stuff in there. Uh, Darren B. to give a barn burner of a speech on, on American nationalism. There's just some great stuff there. Yeah, we played a great clip of Darren on the end of our uh, show last week. He's also a Steak for Breakfast enjoyer as well. Um, coming Piggybacking off of what you talked about at NatCon 3, do you see heading into fiscal year 2023 and beyond uh, conservative momentum coming from behind the bench at SCOTUS still? Or do you think uh, how, you know, the progressive parts of the American public responded to things like Dobbs being overturned, do you think that they kind of hold back a little bit moving forward? It's a great question. I, I I am cautiously optimistic, with an emphasis on cautiously, because if there's one thing that judges have done time and time again in my relatively young lifetime, it is disappoint conservatives time yes. and time again, with, 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 with perhaps the notable exception of what was a generally quite successful term last term. But I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, because if you look at the particular posture of what I think are the two maybe the three biggest kind of bucket of cases that the court is going to hear this term. So the biggest cases from my perspective, arguably by far are the two affirmative action cases. So there's one out of Harvard, then there's one out of the university of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. The reason that they did that is because they wanted one private school, one public school in case there's kind of a state action, 14th amendment issue there. That the affirmative action is actually one issue where even chief justice, John Roberts himself, has actually been quite consistent and actually quite conservative on. So he, he has this very famous line from a 2007 case out of Seattle, Washington called Parents Involved, where he famously said in, the, in a similar context of kind of race-based admissions and race-based policy, he said, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. And he previously had also said that, you know, uh, we being the core should get out of this sordid business, the divvying up by race. So he's been quite outspoken on this. So I'm actually cautiously optimistic that this could be the term that we finally get rid of the 2003 case Grutter versus Bollinger and then the 1978 case called Baki, which is kind of the modern affirmative action precedence. I would personally would love to see Clarence Thomas write that majority opinion. He's yeah. been outspoken on this issue for decades now. That would really be kind of a career defining landmark decision for him. I guess it's just one of the cases that I'll quickly flag. There's a case out of Colorado called 303 Creative. It's kind of in this same vein of religious liberty, free speech cases. It's not technically a bake the damn cake bigot case because it's not a, it's not actually a cake in question. <laughs> Rather, it's a it's a Christian who designed kind of a wedding design website and, you know, same sex couple wants their services. Uh, but, you know, we know how this litigation unfolds by right. now. 
But the point is the court would not grant cert and agree to hear this case only four years after the very similar case, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, unless they were planning to do something with it. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense. So I'm actually, I'm actually cautiously optimistic that we could finally get a decent ruling there as well and kind of solidify that, no, whether you're baking a cake or arranging a flower bouquet or creating a website or whatever, that the fact that you are providing your services to the public does not necessarily compel you, God forbid, to violate your conscience and violate your own religious faith. So I, I'm, I'm actually somewhat optimistic about, about that case as well. Yeah, I, I'm in the majority with you thinking that we could see some uh, groundbreaking rulings over the course of the next year and beyond. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, even with John Roberts and how he's been kind of flip-floppy on issues over the years, I definitely saw him show a little bit of a spine recently, and I hope that some of his counterparts on the bench can continue to push him in that direction because, I mean, those guys have to see when they look out their window every day driving to work or they read the paper or check out the news, just some of the stuff that this country's going through right now and on a global scale, which is where I'm going to shift to now with you. Uh, we have to start taking care of our country a little bit better than we're doing now where we're not going to have one in a few years because it seems like everybody inside the Biden regime right now is toting the uh, almost prospectus of going to World War III throughout the times we had um, during the Cold War era. It was always on the back of everybody's mind, but we always knew that there were actual diplomats at the highest level working on behalf of the American people. Now it just seems like we don't care. It's like, well, if Vladimir Putin w wants to just do tactical nukes or c continue to do what he does, does he knows what's going to happen and there's nothing that could stop it. That kind of rhetoric is is some of the likes we've never seen in, in this modern era. And, and between the NATO versus U.S. policy versus Putin, it just seems like all of the normal diplomatic avenues have been thrown out the door and we're just going to throw talking points at each other until someone finally presses the button. Um, what do you see going on right now in regards to that whole narrative and, and how do you kind of weigh in on it when you discuss it? I think that U.S. policy as it currently stands when it comes to Russia and Ukraine is asinine, counterproductive, and at this point, basically directly opposed to, I think, what a sound and prudent foreign policy would be doing. So let me kind of break that down. So I, I've actually been very consistent about this. I, I really have not kind of moved an inch on this since the, the conflict first broke out in late February. So right from day one. I said, okay, Ukraine is very is a very flawed, corrupt country. The Maidan Revolution of 2014. Ever since then, Zelensky is corrupt. Blah, blah blah. We all know that. But as between kind of a a, a tough choice between Zelensky and a full on kind of Belarus style Lukashenko puppet state, which was really the alternative if Russia were to just kind of gobble up Ukraine. I'll roll the dice with Zelensky. But that hasn't actually been a question since mid to late May at the very latest. The, the Russians started retreating from Kiev, which they had surrounded in May. Right. So for the past four, four and a half months now, we've basically been quibbling over Luhansk, Donetsk, like the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine and the peninsula region of Crimea, which Putin first went into in 2014. He's effectively been there for eight years. Russia, of course, historically has been in Crimea with, with some intermittent pauses for centuries, yes. as Elon Musk pointed out actually earlier this week. So why in the world, if that is what is currently happening, is the U.S. still flooding tens and tens of billions of dollars into this conflict? People are putting on these ridiculous Ukrainian lapel pins and saying that we are going to stand with Ukraine to the last man until they take back every town, village, community center, church, whatever in the Donbass region and Crimea. 
I, it, it, that is just total bonkers. I mean, like I said, I think the I think from a U.S. national interest perspective, which is the only way to view foreign policy, that it was better. It is better to have Zelensky there, despite all of his flaws, than a Lukashenko style Belarus puppet. But that's not. That, that's not a problem right now. Zelensky is there to stay. U.S. dignitaries, Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham, whatever, you name it. They've been to Kiev. Yeah. So he's not going anywhere. Kiev is secure. I do not care about what is happening in the Donbass and the Crimea, and nor, I think, should the median American care. So at this point, the U.S. should be using its leverage to get these people to the negotiating table, work something out. Elon Musk actually – I mentioned him. He had a really good tweet I, uh, earlier this week, actually, where yeah. he was talking about like a possible kind of proposal to put an off ramp here to kind of get the parties to the table. But part of that depends on Ukraine being neutral as between NATO and kind of the Eastern Russian sphere of influence. And, you know, these idiots who are calling for Ukraine to be a part of NATO. Well, you know what? I mean, like the West clamoring for Ukraine to join Lithuania and Poland and whatnot in NATO is part of the reason we got to this point in the first place. So let's just drop that talking point. NATO achieved its purpose over three decades ago. Yes. NATO's purpose was to defeat the Soviet Union. So at this point, it's not entirely clear to me why NATO even exists. But the last thing that we should do would be to further expand it, whether it's Sweden and Finland. And thank goodness that Josh Hawley was the courageous lone dissenting vote on that particular thing in the Senate, although it's crazy that he was the only person to, to vote against Sweden and Finland getting fast-tracked. But I, look, I, at this point, I think U.S. policy is just is just totally insane. Henry Kissinger had this right when he said back in like late May or early June, whenever it was, that, that it is time to kind of you know, get everyone to the negotiating table, settle down, reach a detente, reach kind of a mutually agreeable compromise and return to kind of the pre-2014 status quo ante as it pertains to Crimea and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you make you make uh, some really great points there, and a lot of the the talking points that we hit on this show almost weekly, probably because of our our, our guest caliber. But it, it's just getting back to the negotiating table is the only way out of this. People like you know Brennan and Blinken and Petraeus who went around this weekend and saying World War Three, nuclear war is imminent. People like Boris Johnson uh, who do eighty six, one of the last deals. Uh, in addition to the one that Turkey had proposed earlier in the year, it's just counterproductive. And the only thing that's happening is we're funneling more money there, which you touched on. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we use as legal tender on our show, Steak for Breakfast, border walls as, as, as a currency in regards to uh, the Ukraine conflict, ending global hunger and green new energy policies. We kind of all lump it together and pay it out in border walls. I, I know you'll probably remember back during the Trump administration for about three and a half billion dollars and one measly border wall. We shut the U.S. government down for months. And uh, to this point today, when Joe Biden has just pledged almost in real time, six hundred and twenty five million additional dollars to help out the, the ongoing effort in Ukraine, we have now reached 30 and a half border walls worth of funding, aid, logistical support, and money over to Ukraine since the start of this conflict. So if that kind of puts it into a little bit better perspective for you, I can't think of anything else that would. We can almost wrap it around the planet at this point. Josh, I want to uh, segue now to probably the biggest domestic issue besides inflation, the economy, crime, the borders, and all that other stuff. It's, it's the focus of the next five weeks on the upcoming midterm elections. Uh, probably one of the biggest ones in the history of modern politics in regards to 
uh, an administration that's currently in power and the ability to pump the brakes on it in a referendum type fashion. Unfortunately, we're not seeing resounding numbers in regards to the poll, although we know a lot of them are skewed and, and definitely use things like independents and, and uh, people who are undecided as to keep these races a little bit closer than they are or to demoralize one side of the voter base or other. Now, someone who's who's wrapped himself around politics as much as you has to be pretty involved in at least watching all the stuff that's going on right now. For the America First movement, the nationalist populist movement, things that are moving forward and success they're going to have on November 8th, what do you see in uh, the legitimate chances here? I, w- I would say that I am pretty optimistic right now. I'm actually more optimistic right now than I would have been a month, month and a half ago or so. Obviously, earlier this year, maybe circa like late June, throughout throughout, uh, early to mid-July, you know, we were very optimistic. I mean, that was was when everyone kind of in the chattering class was calling for a red wave. And then we some more data started to trickle in, basically showing that the backlash to the abortion decision might might have actually been a little more intense, to be honest with you, than some of us had perhaps anticipated. I say that, of course, as a, as a as an unwavering pro-lifer who has celebrated Dobbs' opinion, and in fact, does not think it goes far enough. But same the the, the backlash to that um, opinion, nonetheless, politically speaking, did seem to be a little stronger, but. Starting around the time of the Biden loan forgiveness thing and then kind of the Philadelphia speech over over the past few weeks, you know, Republicans really do seem to have gained kind of the upper hand again. And I, at, at this point, if you know, if I were if, if, if I were a betting man, I would actually say that Oz probably wins in Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm going to assume that J.D. Vance is, is safe in Ohio. I'm going to yes. assume that Ted, that, that Ted Budd is safe in North Carolina. I'm going to assume that Ron Johnson is safe in Wisconsin, yes. although, uh, although to be honest with you, I had Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar on my own podcast a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, uh, Robert Cahaley actually said that he thought that Ron Johnson was was having a tougher time than he normally has and that Ron should kind of get his act together. But the, the, he's had some good polls. So I'm going to assume that he's safe. I think that Oz pulls it out at this point in Pennsylvania. It's tough to say because Pennsylvania is a particular kind of fraud prone state to to be to be candid. And it's also a very tough state to poll for various demographic reasons. But Fetterman is just I mean, he's like he's he's like he's like a zombie walking. Yeah, I mean, like he's so freaking terrible. It's like a bag. So I, uh, I, 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 I frankly feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I don't wish anyone upon him. Like, you know, you know, like a stroke recovery. I mean, thank God I've never had a stroke, but it looks just horrific. But I, I, I'm actually feeling decent that Oz pulls it out. I, I think Adam Laxalt has Nevada. I, I don't want to say locked up, but I think Agreed. he's in. I think he, I think he's in really good shape right Agreed. now. Agreed. Blake Masters is an interesting position. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of Blake, so I've gotten to know him a little bit. Um, I, I truly, truly hope he wins. And at this point, I think it's basically a toss-up. I think the momentum that we're seeing right now continues, and I, I saw a headline from Breitbart either today or yesterday that it looks like Peter Thiel is going to kind of open up the checkbook again for Blake. Yep. I, I have to think that Blake probably probably is successful, especially if Laxalt is successful in Nevada. The, the Hispanic polling out of Nevada is very favorable right now. It looks like Republicans are like outright winning the Hispanic vote in Nevada, which is pretty crazy. But if that's even close to true, I, I have to think that the similar trend in Arizona will pull Blake Masters through. So I, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic right now. And as far as I've been, as far as kind of the NatCon, NatPop movement in particular concerned, I think at a bare minimum between J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, and I would also put Adam Laxalt there, actually, with those three guys. I, I think, you you know, you could see some real kind of allies for Josh Hawley come January as far as kind of moving the ball forward 
as far as what a more kind of nationalist, prudential, and less uh, less ideological, less dogmatic Republican Party might possibly look like, at least in the Senate. No, you keep mentioning Josh Hawley. We love him on this show and definitely is one of the, the absolute greats that has worked in Congress in a long time, an outstanding senator from Missouri. We actually have said for the past at least year and a half, we were, we were back in the old garage when we were still talking about it, I've called Josh Hawley at least a 2024 uh, vice presidential dark horse you know, definitely something that could happen. And then in regards to this election, I, I kind of agree with you the same way. Uh, we, we re, well, just a few days ago, we started celebrating Oztober on Steak for Breakfast. And uh, <laughs> we celebrate Mehmet Monday every Monday as well. Because, you know, we talked about it. Might not have been the most attractive candidate at first, but when you look at the alternative, uh, the radical progressiveness, the track record, the record, and then where he's at right now physically, there's just no other answer than kind of you have to appreciate Dr. Oz just a little bit. I think after the debates, he'll see a little bit of a, a jump in the in his uh, you know race there. And then going across the country, I think besides J- uh, Dr. Oz, we've had just about everybody else in, in the Senate races on the show. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of stand in the same way. I actually feel like there's a Carrie Lake component to the Blake Masters race where Adam Lexald is kind of having to do it a little bit more on his own because Lombardo isn't as an attractive or maybe nationally publicized candidate as Carrie Lake. And I think part of that whole ticket there in Arizona uh, shows her success that she's having in the polls right now. In addition to the money that's coming in there, we saw $5 billion last week dumped in, in addition to what Peter Thiel's going to dump back into that race as well. And and, and we feel like Carrie's going to kind of pull Blake's numbers up as they head towards the finish line. And she's going to wind up carrying that ticket, which is completely fine because our, our midterm election pronouns are 53-245-35. And I really hope that we can get there. Josh, last thing I want to touch with you on, looking past the midterm elections, and it's one of the things that seems like everybody wants to talk about, but we just really can't get to the forefront because of the importance of the midterm elections, is Ron Ron versus the Don Don. Um, and, and the huge national debate that's been going on for almost nearly the last two years now and, and moving forward after November. And by the time these guys are sworn in in January, we are going to see that heat up and become a front burner issue. Where do you stand on that as far as leadership in Republican politics go and moving forward? Who maybe in addition to those two are going to be the front runners for the uh, 2024 presidential election? So I, the first thing to say I mean, I'm not to sound like a politician, but like it is at least possible that they both don't run. Right. I mean, like we don't sure. actually know what what could what could happen with, with with the Trump indictment, how kind of financially burdened he would be. It's entirely it's possible, at least that that that, that DeSantis uh, d- does not run. But but I, I definitely agree that is more likely than not at this point that they both run. Uh, I, I, I'm on record. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm quite public with my support for DeSantis. I, I live here in Miami, Florida. I've gotten to know the governor pretty well. Um, I, I, and, I, and I am convinced that what you see is what you get. Uh, I think I really, really think that he's the real deal. Um, he he has done the reading. He knows exactly what he believes and why he believes it. He is fearless. I, I, I think his instincts for picking fights and winning fights is generational. I, I think it is a once-a-generation talent as far as kind of his instincts, his feeling out the playing field. I mean, what he did to the Walt Disney Company in the state of Florida, that's the state's largest employer. That is the state's single largest employer, unless I'm very mistaken. What he did to them earlier this year was the stuff of legends. And I really, really, really think that he would just will be a, a, a truly fantastic future president of the United States, whether that comes in 24 or eventually 
I guess we'll see. Uh, I, I obviously would gladly and enthusiastically pull the lever for Trump if he's a nominee. But if that is the the choice that we are faced with, um, you know, again, being here in Florida and having gone to know the governor a little bit, I, I am very much in his camp. As far as kind of other people that that I'm kind of looking to as possible future presidential material, I'm really happy that you that you mentioned Josh Hawley. I, I adore Josh Hawley. I, I, I think that he, I, 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 he's my favorite U.S. senator. I, mean, yes. I, guess, I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just say that explicitly. And I say that I saw, you know, I'm also, I'm also pretty close with Ted Cruz. I've known Ted for years. I, I, I actually worked on Ted's last book with him in 2020. Nice. It wasn't quite a, a ghost writing, but I got a nice shout on the acknowledgement section. So I've known Ted for years, but Josh Hawley to me is someone who just understands the current moment better than anyone else in that particular legislative body. He's also utterly brilliant. I mean, he understands that kind of the big tech oligarchs are are the direct equivalents of the early 20th century Robert Barron's the railroad railroad industry. This is a guy who wrote a biography, a scholarly biography about Teddy Roosevelt when on common antitrust and trust busting. Jo- Josh Hawley just gets it, and um, yeah, you know, I, I we'll see where he goes in future years and future decades, but I would love to see him as a, as a president of the United States one day as well. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a big fan of Tom Cotton's. I think when it comes to on immigration and crime in particular, I think Tom Cotton is probably the best politician in America on, on the crime issue on immigration. He kind of co-authored that bill with David Perdue of Georgia to restrict uh, legal immigration a little yep. more. So he's, he's excellent on that issue as well. So we'll see, but I'm you know the current crop of candidates is is also pretty pretty promising. I'm a huge Blake Masters fan, like I said. I think Adam Laxall too. By the way, Adam Laxall was former roommates with Ron DeSantis. They're yes. actually very close personal friends. Um, I, I think Laxall could be an exceptional U.S. senator as well. Don't sleep on him. But uh, yeah, for 2024, if if Trump and DeSantis both run, then I, I I'm definitely publicly uh, uh, as, as a matter of public record in, in the DeSant- in the DeSantis camp at that point. Nice, and, and we we like to get those receipts on the show because there is an alternative to every coin. Obviously, we do still really appreciate all the work that President Trump did throughout the course of his presidency and hope just because of how, you know, we know there's some unfinished business, the fact that he does run again. There are some alternatives there, uh, namely Ron DeSantis in, in the very near future that could be a more than serviceable uh, presidential candidate and future president of the United States moving forward. In addition to that, I, I love that point you made on Adam Laxall. You know, his pedigree throughout the course of the entirety of his political career, uh, he is the gold standard as far as that crop of Trump endorsed America first senators in this election cycle. And I think he's going to be probably the most polished heading in to the beltway uh, while everybody else is going to kind of have to get their feet wet and, and figure out how, you know, politics inside Washington, D.C. works. Josh, this has been awesome sitting down with you for the first time today. We're hoping at the very least you'd uh, like to come back at some point in the future. I think uh, at the very least we had some insightful conversation that our listenership is really going to enjoy. And uh, I'm hoping that a bunch more people now tune into your podcast podcast, which I do regularly now and, and uh, like to hear the things you have to say. So if you want to tell us where we could find you on social media, we're going to link the NatCon YouTube page and uh, anything else you want to share with us today. No, look, guys, this is great. I, w- I would love to come back anytime. Uh, you know, you're, it sounds like you've got a lot of my buddies who come on regularly, Raheem, Gavin Wax, uh, Theo Bald, you know, you name it. So I uh, would love to become a, a, a regular or something at least kind of approaching semi-regular status if you're, if you're kind enough to have me. As, as, you know, as far as where you can find me, Twitter is the easiest place, Josh underscore Hammer. I read a weekly syndicated column in addition to the podcast I mentioned. You can find that at a, you know, you know, a bunch of places, Newsweek, American Greatness, Town Hall, Daily Signal, Epoch Times. Uh, it's, 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 it's bounced around kind of all the conservative websites at this point. 
But yeah, I look forward to coming back anytime soon. And yeah, please do come check out my own podcast. It's just called the Josh Hammer Show if you like what you hear. No, we we absolutely love it. And like I said, now that you've said that, I don't know how if you really don't know how it works on this show, you're going to be getting some emails from me in the in, in the near future. <laughs> we can make this a, a monthly spot, and I would be completely fine with it to say the very least. This is the host of the Josh Hammer Show and an opinion writer at Newsweek. Josh Hammer, thanks for jumping on the show with us today. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. And to Puerto Rico because they haven't been taken very good care of. They've been trying like hell to catch up from the last hurricane. I want to see the state of affairs today and make sure we push everything we can. Well, Joe Biden headed down to the PR yesterday. I don't know if you saw. He uh, had a less than memorable trip down there, to say the least. No, did you see the highlights? I saw some of them. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to bring them to you. We won't be as Joe weren't, B- weren't very highlighty for me. No, they won't be as Joe Biden heavy on the show this week. But uh, let's jump into it when he finally got there. Well, my name's Joe Biden, and I don't want the headline to read: oh. "Biden brings storm to Puerto Rico." <laughs> so I don't. I'm going to maybe have to cut this a little short. Oh. Of course, because guess what? I like the painful laugh in the background. The guy's just like, <laughs> oh. When you're standing in front of a couple shipping containers in the middle of a natural disaster area. God, I wish somebody would have just given him some rolls of paper towel and see what he'd do with them. No teleprompter. No teleprompter. No. Wow. He uh, he, he did pretty good. He jumped right, yeah. He jumped right into it and uh, expressed extreme prowess in regards to his comprehension. Prowess? Of the Spanish language. Ready for this one? Oh, and we've announced $163 million, million to begin construction on the canal to restore. Can I help me with the pronunciation? Oh, Martin Peña. Martin Peña. Martin Peña. Uh, that entire ecosystem. And we're going to clean up polluted waters and restore mitigation habits, man, mangrove habitat, mangrove habitats. So, man, even- man, man. Come on, man. Grove. I, I can't think of an easy. Come on, mangrove. Martin Pena. Like, he he that, needed help with that. He didn't really understand the Enya or <laughs> Are you talking about the tilde? Martin Pena. Like I, that would have been fine. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know if you heard, but the, the most shocking comment of the day. Oh that he's that he's uh It wasn't it wasn't a change in US foreign policy, but it did confirm that we have in fact already had our first Hispanic president of the United States. Let's hear it. And so I, uh, I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home, politically. And so we, and we came here for a long time, uh, both for business and pleasure, since you're part of the Third Circuit Court. So, Noah, can you do me a favor? <laughs> I can't. While we're, while we're moving on, uh, after confirming our first Hispanic president, can you look up uh, Hispanic demographics of Scranton, Pennsylvania, like... 76 years ago. I'm not going to do that. No? No. I mean, I, I understand what he's saying. Oh, we grew up in the Puerto Rican community. community. You sound just like him. <laughs> Politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what does that even mean? What does it mean? What, what does it mean when he says anything? Like, he's like, oh, they already caught me on the other thing where I was like, uh, my PhD and... Uh, Top of my class and all this other stuff. I grew up in the Puerto Rican community. Oh, shit, they're going to figure that out uh, politically. 
Politically. It's like the, the mulligan. <sighs> Peter Ducey from the Lawn of the White House gave a little bit of commentary on the ongoing saga while Joe Biden was down in PR. We're, we were still worrying about what's happening in Florida, especially with those inflammatory comments we saw from Vice President Kamal Harris uh, this week talking about um, hurricane relief being a thing of equity. Let's hear him weighing in on a possible face-to-face with uh, Ron DeSantis. He is not using the federal storm response to do favors for friends. At times like these, our nation comes together, put aside our difference, our political differences, and get to work. We show up. Officials still are not committing to a meeting with Ron DeSantis Wednesday when he goes to Florida, but officials are cleaning up a comment from the vice president where she seems to suggest that race could impact federal relief. Lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding. Aboard Air Force One on the way down to Puerto Rico, the press secretary clarified. Clarified. We are committed to quickly getting resources to all communities impacted, period, full stop. Uh, But we also know that some people, particularly in lower income communities, have a hard time accessing that help. And that is more in line with what we have been seeing and hearing from FEMA officials talking about their responses in the U.S. mainland and also down in Puerto Rico. Charles. Peter. So. Thank you very much. A lot of clarifying there. Full stop. Mm-hmm. I like her. I like how that's her thing. Like that's her circle back. Full stop. Hmm. She uses that a lot. Not like every three seconds, like Saki used to. But no, I mean, uh, like the, now they're having to come back and correct things that Kakala Harris is saying. Yes. God, her voice is fucking annoying too. And then you have KGP cleaning that up for her. It's uh, you know, <laughs> clean up on aisle White House. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you white memes or anybody's listening right now, but uh, I'm thinking the KGP on the uh, Ben Affleck smoking meme might be in order. Like yeah. Every time Joe Biden says something, fuck. Or any time Kamala and Joe Biden now collectively. I'm expecting it to drop soon after this show does later this afternoon. Tucker Carlson weighed in on Kamala Harris's comments and uh, blasted her a little bit. Nicer than we have, but uh, they can't drop F-bombs on Tucky. Mm. The disasters are often she causes them. She didn't cause the hurricane recently <laughs> that crushed Florida, but she has a new plan to distribute relief, of course, on the basis of race. Watch. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making. We have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity. So this is immoral. Not one thing ever in American life should be distributed on the basis of race, ever. However, as long as we're becoming a two-tiered society with a privileged class and an underclass, how about rewarding good behavior? Why not give priority to Americans who pay their taxes, follow the law, Raise decent children who don't join gangs or sell drugs or spray paint things or shoot people. Ouch. Why not try that for once? They'll never even consider. Mm, I like that. Yeesh. Hey, you went in hard. Yeah, Got that, it. that was hard. So, but it, but it's true. You want to talk about actual human equity? It's the people who uh, 
you know, aren't walking down the street and sucker punching people or blindly shooting into a crowd and usually hitting children in some of our worst urban areas in the United States right now, namely places like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Chicago, Washington, D.C., we see you as well. Big Dick Ron DeSantis jumped on Fox News last night to give an update, and uh, he touched on this as well, as it seems to be something that the uh, legacy media really wanted to harp on regarding Kamal Harris. Let's hear him. What is your reaction, Governor, to the, the vice president? It's our lowest income communities, our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions. We have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity. What was your reaction to that? I think she's trying to play uh, identity politics with a with a storm and a natural disaster and, and i think it's ridiculous and 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 honestly we had the fema administrator in florida with us and she threw cold water on that so that is not going to happen it's totally not appropriate uh you don't have to politicize every single tragedy in this country um, and i think people i tell you in florida are really sick of the nonsense they just want people to to be helped they want everyone to band together and they want us to get these communities back on our feet so that's what we're doing in florida and, and sean it's also the impacts spanned all demographics, all income levels. Sanibel has some very wealthy people. They also have blue collar people. You have other uh, communities, different race, different ethnicities. Who cares? We just want to make sure people have a chance to get back off their feet and, and get moving forward again. Seems pretty uh, sensical. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a whole set of memes about Florida, and it's usually like white trashy looking dudes on like mowers with getting beer from the fucking corner store oh florida or, man not corner store but neighbor neighborhood store i'll allow it <laughs> white house press uh conference is going on right now kgp is lying from the podium as she usually does now we talked about last week peter Ducey not being allowed to ask as many questions as he had been lately but um as of late we saw Joe Biden take credit for gas prices going down because that was because of the Putin sanctions. However, is he taking credit for him going back up? Well, let's find out because that's exactly what Peter Ducey asked her. <laughs> Thanks, Green. You've said the president was responsible for gas prices coming down. Is the president responsible for gas prices going up? So it's a lot more nuance than that, right? Um, Peter, you know this. A lot more nuance. There have been global challenges that nuance. we have all have de dealt with. When I say all, meaning other countries oh, okay. as well have dealt with since the pandemic. There's but, been pandemic and there's been uh, Putin's war. And Putin's war uh, and has off easy. Uh, increased gas prices at the pump. We have seen that over the past several months. And what the president was able to do, mm. uh, he took some historic steps when you think about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and making sure that he, we were able to do everything that we can to bring that cost down uh, for American families, give them a little bit more of a breathing room. And we saw that. We saw that every day this summer uh, over a, saving today. American families over a dollar per gallon. Oh, and so over. that is what the president's going to continue to stay focused on, our cons American consumers. How do we continue uh, to, keep, uh, to keep prices down? That's why we, we did the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. That's why we talk about the CHIPS Act. All of these things are going to help Americans here in this no. country. And they no. certainly no. are not. No. Uh -uh. Now, you know. Like, does anybody, is anybody thinking the Inflation Reduction Act is going to do anything? Not other either. than 
raise, raise taxes. taxes, yeah, which creates inflation. Sure does. We're always looking for that other angle. No, but are people still defending that? Besides, yes, of besides her. She calls it a historic piece of legislation it's just so last week. Historic. Very historic because it's going to contribute to historic the recession we're in right now, yeah, and throw us into the first depression since the great one. We're always looking for that other angle here on Steak for Breakfast. Obviously, we let off in our cold open today talking about the prospectus of World War III when a lot of people aren't really talking about it, but it's something that's very real and going on right now. Now, it can't really be this boring and have, you know, Kamala Harris's stupid-ass comment as, like, the thing that drives the news cycle. There's always something else going on. I was scanning through everything yesterday. Just happened to be home at the right time. I was getting dinner started. I threw on Jesse Waters, which sometimes I find clips from but don't often get to watch. It just randomly happened, and Mm -hmm. I saw a piece that I knew I needed to include to the show. So while everybody's worried about Kamala Harris saying black people are going to get their houses fixed in Florida before anybody else... This is what's going on, and it's probably going to shock a lot of people who didn't get to see it yesterday. Exclusively obtained video of a plane full of migrants, mostly teenage girls from Honduras and Guatemala, getting dropped off at the Orange County Airport in Montgomery, New York. Unlike other flights, this one didn't happen in the dead of night, and a patriot was there to film them all getting off. Biden wasn't there to sniff them? At Orange County Airport in Montgomery, New York, Ace Airways has just delivered another load of undocumented illegal aliens to our area. How dare you? And there's a bus waiting outside for them that will take them to who knows where. And this is the bus. They unloaded all kinds of um, luggage, looked like it was issued, black canvas bags. I can't imagine that everybody happened to purchase the same bag. Police pulled that bus over in Montgomery, New York, on suspicion of human trafficking. It turns out the bus was carrying about 50 teenagers from Guatemala, Venezuela, migrants, mostly teenage girls. And there were only three adults on the bus. The adults were from Texas. The plane came from Texas, but nobody knows where the buses were going. The police called the Department of Homeland Security, but they had no idea what was going on, which shouldn't surprise you. And then the police called Health and Human Services, which put out a statement that said the teenage girls were being taken to sponsors, whatever that means. And this was the third plane that had come in with underage migrants just in a week to this one airport in the middle of nowhere. No one in history has flown this many teenagers than Joe Biden, not even Jeffrey Epstein. Is he reuniting all of these kids with their families? No, most of these teenagers are going to sponsors. Whatever that means. So who do you think is willing to sponsor an underage girl from Guatemala? Hmm. Exactly. Does Biden have any idea what happens to these kids? After all, His team has already lost 20,000 migrant kids, lost them. And the teenagers Biden's not losing to sex traffickers, he's making them suicidal. We reported Friday that thousands of young migrants in Biden's care have been slitting their wrists to escape from these military bases. So this is clearly not a top priority for the big guy. No one on his team can even admit we have a border crisis to begin with. Where's AOC weeping in her white pantsuit? Mm. She's probably busy planning the wedding. 
Our very own stupid son of a border doocy, Bill Malugin, asked some Democrats if the border was secure. Watch what happened. Do you believe the border is secure? Well, I believe that we have to have a secure border. 250,000 unaccompanied migrant children arrived at the border since President Biden took office. Some of them traffic, some of them drowning in the river. Any issue with that? Last question. Ma'am, is the border secure? Do you agree with the administration that the border is secure? We'll let you go. Chairman, one question. In your opinion, is the border secure? Wait, wait till they get I have to go get the in the driveway. Did you hear me? I heard you. Okay. It's a quick question. Is the border secure? I'm Bill Malugin with Fox News. Do you have a few moments to talk about the border real quick? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't. A few moments of your time is all we're asking for, and we'll let you go. Reached out to your office, asked to talk to you last week. They they blew us off. I appreciate it's, it. It's 900,000 Godaways. Have a good day. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Democrats think if you ignore a problem, it just goes away. Everybody knows from personal experience that when you do this, the problem only gets bigger. Yep. Just ask your wife or your husband. Mm. In New York City, Whoa. the city's public schools are being overwhelmed with migrant students flown in by Joe. Class sizes are doubling, and many of the classes are being taught in Spanish. So half the class are American kids being taught in Spanish. Where's Randy Weingartner and all this? The head of the teachers' union? Well, we reached out to, you know, for her to comment, and her response is tardy. I like it. Like retardy or? It's Randy Weingarten, <laughs> not Weingartner. <laughs> you know what? Big props to Jesse Waters for jumping on that. It's something that flies under the radar, but is one of the largest components of this absolute. What a shit show. Biggest crisis in the history of our border. And, and listen, you can't, if you're wondering in your head when he says, 15, 16-year-old Venezuelan, Colombia, and, and whatever, Nicaraguan girls are getting shipped to sponsor families, and you're not sure what that is, think of the creepiest things possible. Okay, so they pulled over the bus. No one on the bus knew where they were going. The bus driver didn't know where he was going. The fucking three people from Texas don't know where they're going. Like, you're dropping sponsors off. You're going to have a fucking clipboard on where they're going or where you're dropping them off to, to facilitate those other drop-offs. Like bus station, fucking liquor store, mm -hmm. back of an adult depot. Who knows? Mm. Like it's it's sketchy, very sketchy and scary and disgusting. And hopefully, one of the things that our Congress moving forward after the midterm elections will put heavily. Under well, the it microscope. just sucks that people, the general public, isn't outraged at this. Well, besides us, you got to understand, nobody's talking about it except people like Jesse Waters. That was a pretty big expose piece yesterday, even though it's been going on for literally the last two years. And But he ha he did have a lot of solid receipts and followed up on everything that he needed to have uh, regarding that. We're going to talk about the border and a whole bunch more stuff right now with a couple of America First interviews that we've got on deck. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is the America First Trump-endorsed Republican nominee for Ohio's 9th Congressional District. He's joining us again with a general election update. Mr. Jared Majewski, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. It's my pleasure. It's our pleasure to host. Congratulations on your primary win. We recently played a clip of you speaking at the uh, Trump Ohio rally as well. How is everything going with the campaign and where are you guys sitting just about five weeks out now? It's going really good. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the news like everybody else. You saw the hit piece that the AP tried to put out. Um, you know, it's, it's gained, garnered some national attention, but you know, that's typical Democrat uh, tactics at this point. It seems as if that, uh, you know, every candidate that has been, you know, what I would consider a lifetime politician is engaging in these um, campaign ads that are just lying. I mean, that, that's their entire tactic. They can't talk about their time in office. 
all they can talk about is, you know, trying to lie about their opponents and get national attention. But I was just at a rally last night with 150 plus people and they absolutely went crazy. So yeah, it's pretty ironic that the, uh, you know, radical progressive left is going to target the veteran community and try to spin this in to a, an issue like that, JR, because, you know, we've we've seen like I mean even the things like the, I saw recently that they brought up like a DUI from like twenty plus years ago when like you have the the gubernatorial candidate on the Democrat side, Beto O'Rourke down in Texas has like two or three DUIs, a breaking and entering and resisting arrest, all in like the last decade, and right. and he's the he's running for the governor of Texas and meanwhile they're trying to look into this like gray area or fine print from your military service or how you framed it in addition to whatever they could throw at you, but the fact of the matter is when we see stuff like that. Most recently, we saw a hit piece from, uh, you know, the left. They're throwing out Christian Walker against his dad, Herschel, that's running for that Senate seat in Georgia. They're going to try and just distract you from the issues and, and, like, the economy, inflation, the border, crime. Those things are important right now, not what happened, you know, over two decades ago and uh, wasn't really mentioned throughout the course of the primary season or the beginning of your general election campaign. Right. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, they want to stay away from – or issues like the economy. They don't want to talk about the fact that Northwest Ohioans are paying, you know, three times the price to uh, fertilize their farms. They don't want to talk about the fact that heating our homes is going to be 70% more costly than it was last year. They don't want to talk about the fact that Marcy Capper has been in office for 40 years and has never led a committee. They don't want to talk about, you know, the fact that Marcy Capter doesn't even lead her campaign. It's being led by, you know, a couple uh, extreme progressives that, you know, are, are out for blood. I mean, this this election, again, it's a referendum on poor Democratic policies, and Marcy Kaptur's been part of the team that's voted 100% with Biden and Pelosi, and the voters know that. I mean, they absolutely know that. Yeah. And, you know, pulling up my history and attacking me for mistakes that I made when I was 21 years old, look, I've never, I've never claimed to be a role model. I'm a real model, and I've made mistakes, my journey is one of of making mistakes at a young age, but having a strong family and and friendship network that has you know helped me through the fog. And at 42 years old, I'm highly accomplished. I've had a very successful career in the nuclear power industry, and you know that speaks for itself. What I did as a kid in a foreign country, um, you know, I take the I take the heat for that. I've paid my dues. I I paid my punishment, and you know. To bring it up now, it just makes you think, you know, how is my service or was my service good enough? Because I served and Marcy Captor didn't. Oh, she sure didn't. And like you've mentioned, we saw stuff in Ohio 9's district. The CPI raised over 8%. Food prices hitting an over 40-year high. The average hourly salary, uh, the earnings have declined ridiculously real wages fell for the middle class and consumer prices have been through the roof. And, and those are the things that they don't want to talk about in, in her 40 years of service uh, to, to this country or lack thereof. Pretty much she's like a human vote and, and that's all she really is. She doesn't really have a platform. She doesn't have anything obviously accomplishment wise, this election cycle to run off of. And uh, you seem to be hitting it hard the way you hit pretty much everything throughout your life hard, uh, you know, with your head down and, and, and unwavering. And uh, right now we're, we're, we're so close to the ballot box. Are you guys going to debate it all? What are, what are they doing in your house race? No, she will not debate me. She's refused. Um, multiple requests have been made and she's declined. And, you know, it's typical. That's that's what these Democrats are doing this cycle. They're 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 sitting behind dark money donors. They're putting out messages 
you know, with their buying power and they're lying and they're creating such a cloud of lies that they know they can't stand on stage with their opponent and look them in the eyes credibly because most of them don't even know the messaging that's been put out, to be honest with you. No, Again, it, it, these are activists that are running these campaigns and that's what you're seeing out of the Democratic Party right now. Yeah, you, you, you sure entirety are. of lies. No, you, you, you make some excellent points there, and uh, it's the truth. I've never seen uh, more debates avoided than I have in this midterm election cycle, I think, in my entire life. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, for the ones that uh, are actually debating, the races are so close that they're telling you, like, uh, on, the, on the Democrat side, you literally have – you have to help yourself a little bit and see if you can get, like, a drive-by talking point to nail them on. But, I mean, all the Democrats who are running in this cycle, if you're an incumbent – What's your voting record with Joe Biden? What's the how close to 100 percent are you? All of them are over 95 percent. And and then if you're a, a challenger and, and you you're going up against uh, someone, it's like where does your policies ideologically align with the current state of Joe Biden's uh, regime and the policies that have been inflicted on the United States over the course of the last two years? So it's like a lose lose no matter where you look at it. And anything they try to to talk about is and and make a positive talking point about, you can completely debunk with the reality of what's going on. Right now, we're in a recession. The border is open. Geopolitical uh, uh, standing in the world is absolute garbage. Crime is rampant. Uh, most of our historical cities across this country are falling apart. And uh, we're about to hit the winter and holiday season with gas and energy prices set to be at an all-time high probably than ever. Yeah. I mean, look, Toledo, Ohio is the is the center of this district. It's the most, you know, highly populated, um, and, and it's the home of, two of the country's largest interstates. You have I-75 that runs from Michigan to Florida, and then you have I-8090 that runs from California to New York. And there has been, you know, a, a distinct opportunistic takeover of, of that, you know, that highway, those highways, that intersection by crime units that are pushing fentanyl, that are trafficking humans, be it uh, illegal immigrants or our kids. And for 40 years, this has been a, an issue that has culminated into what it is today. And the one constant that has been there throughout this entire thing is Marcy Captor. And you can't hide from that. And she's, she's trying again, this is the democratic strategy, get a bunch of money and try to buy the election. That's what they're doing. And, you know, Republicans, we have to realize that, you know, we can't be couch side conservatives. And that's part of the reason why I'm running in this election in the first place, you know, I sacrificed my career and, you know, everything that I had to, to do this. And, you know, I need, I need conservatives. I need everybody to get up and not only me, but other, other Republicans across the country that are standing to put our America first need everybody's help because the Democrats they're investing, they're donating like their life depends on it Yep. because I don't want to say their life depends on it in the, in the way that it would be taken out of context, but more or less, their, um, you know, what they do, the nefarious things that they do depend on. Oh, you you are exactly right there. I am a firm believer that if we can take back the House and the Senate in this midterm election here, we could usher in a decade or more of, of nationalist, populist politics, Donald Trump's era policies back into uh, infuse it into America and really get this country started uh, back on the right foot like President Trump had us just two short years ago. JR, it was great to see you uh, out on the campaign trail. One of the largest components of your uh, entire campaign has been the comprehensive ground 
ground game, getting out and actually being like a seeable, touchable candidate that the, you know, people can actually tell the issues and you could have them, uh, you know, go and talk about all the things that are affecting Ohio nine. Most recently, great friend of the show and guy who's coming back on uh, the 18th of October, Mike Collins joined you. How was that? How was that whole experience? We love Mike on this show and it was great to see you guys out there hanging out with everybody. Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. I love Mike. Mike and I have, have kind of buddied up long before this general. I mean, even back in the primary, yep. we were both going through, you know, our own issues internal to the party. And, you know, he was somebody I could lean on and I was somebody he could lean on. And, you know, that 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 bond kind of strengthened. Uh, we've, we've you know, bumped elbows and high-fived in D.C. a couple times. And then he reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a, a, a typically a safe, what would be a, a safe seat. And uh, he asked if he can come up and help. And look, we couldn't think of anything better than to get out on the farm and shoot some plays. Uh, we were we were trying to get we were trying to get an area where we could bring in some of our truckers. But the more we talked about it, um, you know, the more it it didn't sound wise to have you know millions of dollars worth of vehicles out there where you know we may accidentally Dick Cheney a, a vehicle. <laughs> I guess you could say. Definitely <laughs> don't want that. Mike's Mike's a good time, and the people up here. In my district, I mean, Mike's an America first guy, so he didn't have to introduce himself uh, too long before they already, you know, had known who he was. No, you know what? We followed Mike's journey from the very beginning. We were one of his first, if not the first, interviews after he announced his candidacy again for that House seat. What he had to go through is being the most... Uh, so biggest supporter of Trump era policies and then having what happened with Vernon Jones. We never left Mike's side, even though Donald Trump in, endorsed somebody else. And we know now he's in a seat that he's probably going to get 75% of the vote in the general election. And we can only hope that he continues to be just as amazing as he was uh, throughout the primary and general election campaign uh, as he is as a congressman with yourself up there in uh, the Beltway next year. JR, we, we want to be able to direct as much of our listenership to help you out down the stretch here. We know money is always something that you guys need. Also, anyone that's in Ohio 9 or in the state of Ohio that wants to spend time on their weekends and get out with your campaign, either to town halls, knock on doors, hang signs, etc. If you want to give us your campaign website and social medias, we'll for sure lock them in the uh, show description today. Sure. My website is JR Majewski, the number four, congress.com. You can find me on all forms of social media, either at J.R. Majewski or J.R. Majewski for Congress. That's perfect. And we will for surely be catching up with you at some point between November and January to uh, talk about congressional, uh, you know, congressman of Ohio 9, Mr. J.R. Majewski. And uh, we'll get you back for a victory lap after this. We wish you the best of health and luck down the stretch. And uh, like I said, you keep fighting out there, sir. The attacks are going to come hard, but uh, I couldn't think of anybody better to uh, take them head on. Thanks, man. Uh, All hit, no quit. That's what we're about. Boom, there it is. This is the Trump-endorsed America First Republican nominee, Ohio 9. Mr. J.R. Majewski, thanks for joining us back on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Take care. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the former Secretary of the Interior, Congressman and Navy SEAL. He's currently the American First Trump-endorsed Republican nominee for Montana's First House District, and he's joining us for the first time on the show today. Ryan Zinke, thanks for coming on. Hey, it's great to be with you. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there certainly is. But before we do that, congratulations on your uh, primary victory and heading into the general election. Do you want to give our listenership an update on Montana 1 right now? Yeah, Montana, you know, a lot of people believe it's a red state, but Montana's population, we grew and we got another seat. So Montana was divided into two. We on the east side uh, is Matt Rosedale have a problem because, you know, that side is heavily armed. 
the the west side which i'm intending to represent is a little tougher politically we have two universities uh two uh, indian reservations the blackfeet and the salish kootenai and and butte and the demographics uh, are, are a lot tougher and thus that's why i'm committed to take this seat and we need five seats in congress montana is one of those important pickup seats and we're going to win and we're going to take back america yeah, it, it's this most important midterm election probably in ever in modern politics right now when you see the state of the nation, which is what I want to talk to you next on. Obviously, the economy, jobs and fuel energy costs are going to be things that are affecting those residents of Montana. We know how much fuel is a, is a major component of making the agriculture sector work. In addition to that, rising energy costs with uh, you know winter on the way have to be two of the top ticket items what are the biggest things that right now are affecting your constituents as they're getting ready to head to the ballot box in five weeks well inflation and really inflation is pretty easy it's the biggest components are energy you talked about and my opponent wants to kill american energy she's the legal counsel if you can believe it on 350 montana which goes after the pipeline they sued northwestern energy uh, she and they want they want to kill american oil and gas which again will raise prices so inflation if we get energy back where it should be around two bucks a gallon and we got to curb spending uh inflation is really the result of the higher energy costs and out of control in, in spending is what we're seeing from Washington, D.C. We get those two in shape, inflation will go back down, interest rates will go back down, and then things like affordable housing, which we're seeing a crisis in Montana, but really across the West in any any community that's growing in population, there seems to be a, a big push from the shores of uh, California and Portland uh, into Montana and, and Utah. Uh, you know, come as a refugee, but don't come as a missionary. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. That border crisis right now is definitely something that's on the top of most people's list as a top three item for the midterm elections. In addition to that, it goes into the safety and security, destabilization of, of some of the largest cities in the country where a lot of these people are getting shipped. In addition to that, we've seen reports come out this year. Actually, the New York Times, of all places, put out a report that said test scores among children, specifically ages 9 to 11, are at 40-year lows. You can combine that with the lockdowns from COVID in addition to you know the way the school districts have to handle getting a couple dozen or maybe more migrants into their educational system and all the help that they need to be able to handle American education. Uh, it, it seems like the border is, is one of the things that's at, you know, a critical juncture right now that we need to lock down following uh, the midterms, which is what I want to talk to you about. You have a pretty comprehensive congressional agenda that you're ready to bring to Washington, D.C. It's not like you're going to be maybe new in the House uh, now, but but not someone who doesn't know the way things work there. What are some of the things, uh, you know, right off the bat that you're looking to uh, work with your uh you know, uh, co-workers on as soon as the midterm elections are over? Well, you know, you look at failure, and one of the failures, we don't trust our government because our government's not trustworthy. Yeah. At the center of it, there is a swamp. You know, I kind of joke, uh, that those of us in the Trump administration, I, I came into the swamp with a set of waiters. I should have brought a boat. I didn't realize the swamp was as deep as it is. And it is deep. And look, they, they, it's about power and control. And you see what's happening with the investigations. I mean, when I grew up and the FBI said something, you could take it to the bank. It was it, it was the gold standard. Now when the FBI says something, uh, the credibility has been lost. But it's not only the FBI. It's these political arms, uh, whether it's DOJ, the IG, that have become weaponized and actively pursuing and going after conservative values, conservative interests. Uh, and so we need to clean up the swamp. 
I was asked what was my, what I got me my first bill. And I thought about it a long time. And I, I think we need to center on the, the entrenched bureaucrats that are doing this country harm on a political agenda. So I'm going to introduce the, the federal employee accountability and reduction act. Hmm. Uh, the, the acronym is fear because we, we need to go after the swamp. We need to drain the swamp. And I can tell you the harder you push against the swamp, and the more they think that you're a threat, the harder they go after you. You know, I rode a horse in on the first day of work to make a point that the West matters. And one of my political mentors was Orrin Hatch uh, and Mike Lee. Uh, I spent a lot of time with Orrin Hatch in, in, his, in his office talking about family and family values. But I rode a horse in and says, you know what? Our values matter in the West. I had never been interior before, but, but before I found my desk, I walked in, and there were four lawsuits with my name on them, I think, on the first day. That shows you the swamp. As, as soon as you have, you have a fighter in there that wants to fight against the swamp, they go after you. So bottom line is we need to have accountability, and we need to eradicate and defund and get rid of the 87,000 IRS troopers that, are, that some of them no doubt are armed that are coming our way. And lastly, you know we have problems in this country when the 87,000 IRS agents combined with what they have is an army that is, that is, has more ammunition than SEAL Team 6. Yeah, that is a uh, definitely good point you make there, sir. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you made me laugh when you said you had those four lawsuits on your desk. It's like <laughs> every single person who's a former Trump administration official that's running in this midterm election right now always talks about not only how they were hemmed up and slowed down by the administrative state throughout the duration of the time that they worked under President Trump, but the um, enormous amounts of lawfare that that was played against them that they basically have to you know go fund me and drain their own personal assets just to uh defend themselves for things that are 100 percent not true which is uh well, you know, you look at the, the russian hoax but this is a problem in that anyone can launch a complaint anybody can launch a complaint right so you have the media you have the democrats you have these these you know green decoy groups that are launching complaints and by law those complaints have to be investigated that's what a, a federal investigation begins. Uh, and we need to make sure there's a higher threshold uh, on these things. So you, one, you don't have to be a billionaire to serve. And two, is you're not fearful of doing your job and having to pay the, the, the price for actually getting things done. No, it's, it's an excellent point there. You mentioned the American family and family values when you were giving your point right there. I think that is a scene. I'll, I'll come back to the forefront. Uh, for as much as the radical progressive left likes to push that on the American public and put that all in our faces through television, through what's going on with our kids' education system right now, uh, through men and women's sports and, and the blurred lines that they're making between them to essentially make it to where it's all just one thing. I, I really see a lot of these candidates that we've talked to over the course, gubernatorial candidates, especially Carrie Lake, Blake uh, Masters in the Senate, obviously Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, uh, Herschel Walker down in Georgia, really talking about bringing traditional American family values back to the forefront because we are the overwhelming majority and we've been kind of programmed to think that we're not. You know that the people in Montana right now, there's a lot of big family aspect and component there to the people who are going to be going to the ballot box on November 8th. That's definitely one of the things it sounds like you're getting behind. Well, you're right, and the family unit is the fundamental building block of America. And that's that's make sure that people realize that and how important the family is. But as you as you point out, my opponent uh, on 
the abortion issue. She supports abortion moments before birth. Mm. Moments before birth. She supports killing an unborn child moments before birth. Puberty blocking in our schools. CRT. And she... you can't make this stuff up, right? In Montana, everyone has rights, right? But she was a counsel to defend a convicted child rapist on appeal and got paid for it. This is outrageous. In Montana, we put child rapists in prison. We don't elect people that want to release them. Yeah. No, we can't be, be doing that. We see uh, John Fetterman's campaign losing a lot of traction to Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania based off of, uh, you know, receipts he has when he was letting criminals out of jail. And, and it's just, you know, you, you could point it out that you want jail reform, but then when you start talking about what jail reform really is and it's letting the worst of the worst out of jail when we're already starting to get a lot of those people come across our U.S. southern border from other countries, it's just something that turns off the American public because a lot of news stories now over the last month or two have led in with, you know, these events that are happening in Washington, D.C., Chicago, Philadelphia, where you just see like the major cities, flash mobs, people getting beat up, thrown on train tracks. Um, and, and it's just really turning people off. It seems like they do want to get back to that family component. They do want to get back to law and order. Um, what do you think about the uh, Kevin McCarthy rolled out plan, which is the start of the blueprint, the commitment to America that he rolled out with? It's something that he worked with several uh, congressional committees on before he released it. In addition, sat down with uh, Newt Gingrich and he had his hand in it a little bit. Do you think it's a good start for where we're at come January? No, that's a good start. It's a, it's a good compass direction. And, you know, Newt Gingrich is art, and he has many. One of his best is to take complex issues and boil, boiling it down yeah. to points that, you know, the Americans can read. And I, I think they're spot on the, on, on the direction. Uh, certainly Newt Gingrich, you see his hands uh, all, all the way through it. And then they did. They went out and, and coalesced and talked and, and made sure the committee's got a, got a, a plan in it. Most Republicans on the Hill, I think, had a, a, a part of reviewing and, and honing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's a, g- a good start. Uh, the, the proof is going to be in the pudding. You know, can we enact, can we turn the ship around? Uh, I would say Congress coming in, we can do two things. One is we can investigate and show the American people how corrupt uh, D.C. is. But we, we don't want to abuse power. We just want to make sure we bring transparency into it. And secondly, we can we can execute a lot of this by controlling the budget. Yeah, I mean it is out of control. It's like an airplane where we can't find the cockpit. <laughs> so the first thing we got to do is get in the cockpit and get control of the budget. And then you look at a lot of what the administration is proposing to do, which I think most of it, quite frankly, a lot of it anyway, is unconstitutional, like the the student loan fiasco. But if they're going to have to, you know, create these departments of environmental justice and and those type of things, Congress can go in and wipe the funding out. Uh, so they, they can't not only afford not to hire anybody, they can't afford to buy a piece of paper. Oh, so Congress needs to reassert their authority over the power of the purse, both in judicial and and the executive branch, and making sure that we hold them in check. Yeah, when you throw in that the money for the student loan forgiveness and then the stuff that's already gone to Ukraine, in addition to all the things that kind of Mitch McConnell has let pass so far, uh, you know, through Congress uh, over the course of the last two years, we're talking about six trillion ish dollars in wasteful spending. 
Oh, I tell you, my opponent, right? My opponent wants $133 trillion, trillion of new spending. Because when you add up the Biden administration's Build Back Better, you add up uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, you add up the Green New Deal, which is not much of a deal, and you add up the Medicare for All, that's $133 trillion in new spending. Trillion. Yeah. It's, out, it's, it's outrageous. It's irresponsible. And now I think it's for time for Congress to open up both sides of the budget, those that, you know, they'll follow the budgetary process. We need to go in on the entitlement side as well as, as the discretionary side and reform, refit, and reorganize our, our government and our budget. We certainly do. Uh, we, it's time to stop ending passing, uh, you know, those resolutions to keep the budget o- or the government open on a regular basis as well. I think that's where a lot of this additional wasteful sending comes from. Well, and Congress has to do their job. Yep. All right. Every time you do a continuing resolution, you do one of these omnibuses. What that should demonstrate to the American people is they're not going through the budgetary process of authorization and appropriation. So Congress is not doing their job of controlling the budget when they're forced to go into these large omnibuses where you can't get in and you can't do the work that the American people sent you to Washington, D.C. to do. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things that uh, I think the Republicans can do once they take back the House and the Senate, which is the last minor item I want to talk to you on, even though it's a major issue for the entire country. Now, as someone who served both in the Trump administration and in Congress before, you know the importance, even though you're just running for a House seat, of winning back the House and Senate this year. Obviously, we know where your campaign and your direction is focused on, but the outside looking in from the whole thing and, and for the most we can get done for the American people after November, I think we're going to see Republican numbers at the ballot box this year on Election Day probably greater than ever before for midterm elections. You want to just let our listenership know what's on the other side of this election if we don't get out and win back the House and Senate? Well, we're going to lose our country. And I'll, I'll say this. We're failing overseas. Yeah. Right? On foreign shores, we failed in Afghanistan. We failed in Ukraine. We're failing, likely to fail in Taiwan. We're failing you know, domestically with our border, inflation, energy costs, supply chain, affordable housing, police uh, you know, across the board, but we're also failing culturally. And this administration, if not checked, has abandoned our troops overseas. They've abandoned our families. They've abandoned our force by letting them burn down. They've abandoned management. They've abandoned accountability, responsibility. They've abandoned almost every principle you and I grew up with. So this election, you know, it's funny. This is my seventh election. Mm. I started out as a state senator and then a congressman. Uh, This is my seventh election. Of the elections, this is the most important because it's time now to turn this ship. It's time now before we hit the rocks, and it's time now for everyone to do their duty. Look, and and I've been to a lot of wars in my lifetime because I have, and I fought a lot of battles, but I can tell you not every battle was led by George C. Patton. Because generals don't win battles, it's the front line. It's the sergeants, it's the privates, it's lieutenants on the front line that win our wars. On the political front, it's not the candidates that win, it's, it's American people that decide, you know what, we've had enough, we're going to get active in our, in our democracy, we're going to make sure the republic survives, and we care about American values, and we're going to save her. 
Yeah, it certainly sounds like a pretty easy plan there, but there's a lot of work to be done over the course of the next five weeks. Ryan, we want to be able to direct our listenership to support you in any way can. Money coming in both from in and out of states, people who are living in Montana and listening to the show today, getting involved with boots on the ground, passing out signs, door knocking, etc. If you want to give us your social media and campaign website, we'll live link them in the show description. You know, Greg, go to ryanzinke.com. That's ryanzinke.com. Uh, we're, we're in a fight up here. You know, uh, I've been to a lot of gunfights. Uh, th- this is a good one. So we just need more ammunition to make sure that we keep the 60s ablaze up here. And in Montana, then we'll get to Republican congressmen. Uh, we will we will join part of a, a Republican majority, and we're going to lead. Uh, it is time for leadership to, to move out, and it is better to charge up a hill under fire, my friend, than cower in a foxhole. Oh. So it is time for all Americans to front line, if you will, uh, of our party and of our country to rise and vote and let your voice be heard. Absolutely. We enjoyed spending some time with you today. We look forward to continuing to track your campaign between now and November 8th. And in between then and when you get sworn in over the course of the holiday season, we'll get you back as a, as a congressman-elect. And uh, you can let everybody know just what you're focusing on heading into uh, January of next year. This is the former Secretary of the Interior, Congressman and Navy SEAL, Mr. Ryan Zinke. And I'd like to say, you know, God bless and God bless all those who defend her. Thanks for joining us today on Stay for Breakfast. Great catching up with those guys. We're going to catch up with the 45th president of the United States right now who was rocking Warren, Michigan last weekend. He had a Save America rally event for Tudor Dixon, uh, Kristen Caramo, and Matthew DiPerno, some definite Steak for Breakfast enjoyers in there. The crowd was packed into the center that they had the rally at and really responsive to the president who opened up his remarks at the rally for thoughts and prayers sent towards the people of Florida affected by the hurricane. Let's hear it. This is a big crowd, and I want to just say, hello, Michigan. We love Michigan. And I'm thrilled to be back in this magnificent state with thousands of proud, hardworking American patriots. (laughs) Before we begin, I want to send our profound sympathy and our immense support to everyone back in Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas who are struck by this brutal wrath of the hurricane. Not a good hurricane. This was a big one. You know, a lot of times they say the hurricane's coming and nothing happens. This was a bad one. This was a really bad one. So we just want to say hello to everybody in that area. And we want to say we love you very much. And we do. Please know our hearts are with you and our prayers are with you. Thank you. We'll all stay strong together. We'll pull through it. That was a bad, bad couple of. So, you know, it's it's a lot of the people probably didn't have power when the rally aired, which is a perfect excuse to catch up on steak for breakfast and listen to all the commentary and the highlights from the rally because you're only going to find them here. Um, But it's good to hear 45 lead in with that. Knowing that a lot of uh, what's going down on Florida, not human equity, but the actual disaster areas mm. are on our mind. And um, I pulled as much of the new material as I can, and there was quite a bit of it. Uh, it seems like the Trump rallies are really evolving over the time. 
you know, every week now, and it's, it's pretty interesting. No, I don't know if you heard, this is going to be the first week of this midterm election cycle that we're getting two rallies in one weekend. Two in one weekend? Looks like we're getting Nevada. Like Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday? Friday, Saturday. Wow. So Nevada on Friday night for Adam Lexalt and uh, Joe Lombardo, and then we're going to have Carrie Lake and Blake Masters and Friends. Nice. Saturday in Arizona. We've already been invited. I respectfully declined mm. just because of the logistics of it. But, you know, it's it's really good to see us getting our footing right now, uh, regardless of all the haters and losers that are going on and, and trying to demonize President Trump and all the other stuff that uh, – is going on in the world, we really have to just put our heads down and kind of, you know, push through to November 8th. Like I had mentioned, we saw some hit pieces come out recently on John Gibbs, uh, J.R. Majewski, Dr. Oz, and, you know, Herschel Walker last night. And it's, it's we really have to just put the blinders on. This happens to all the other candidates. This happens in every election cycle. They're they're obviously called the October surprises for a reason. And we just have to stay focused because Republicans are going to continue to get persecuted uh, at the expense of the radical progressive left. President Trump weighed in on it last weekend. Let's hear it. I never thought I'd have to say this, frankly, but let's talk about the persecution of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Let's talk about it. On January 6, 2021, I made a speech entitled Peacefully and Patriotically. Three days before realizing there were going to be perhaps one million people. People never talk about how many people were there. It's one of the largest crowds I've ever spoken before. Nobody ever talks about it. <laughs> pictures of the crowds have disappeared, unless they give you pictures from 5 o'clock in the morning. One million people at the potentially historic speech, which it turned out to be a historic speech, and I recommended and authorized to numerous people, including the Secretary of Defense and others, 10,000 to 20,000 troops to ensure peace, safety, and protection. That recommendation was turned down by crazy Nancy Pelosi <laughs> and the mayor of Washington, D.C. They said they didn't like the look of it, but that means there was no insurrection because somebody creating an insurrection doesn't recommend from 10 to 20,000 troops to keep everybody safe. Yeah, but true. you won't hear about that from the fake news media right back there. There's a lot of them. You won't hear about it. I never read about it. I keep saying we authorized from 10 to 20,000, and it's in the Obama, from previous, the Obama Inspector General's report. And they turned it down, and they don't want to talk about it. The unselect committee doesn't want to talk about it. And, you know, that's the first time he actually put it that way and really went and hit Bowser and Pelosi hard on it. Um, I definitely think it's something that's going to come up as this investigation into January 6th and the big nothing burger that it actually is logistically uh, continues to evolve after the midterm elections. But what do you, what do you think? No, that's kind of like the first time we actually heard him tie it in there like that. You know, if, if they deny the presidential protections that I offer to keep everyone safe, then there can't be an insurrection. Yeah. I mean, it was a willful, I mean, you can't look at it and know all these angles and not think that it was like, 
okay, maybe it's not, I'm not going to say that it was planned, but they wanted something bad to happen. Sure. Well, they certainly did, and uh, something bad did happen, and, and like Cynthia Hughes elaborated, and Donald Trump used a lot of the narrative that she champions uh, last week at his rally. There are currently about 900 or so people who are you know, ensnared in this web. Canceling MAGA is something that Joe Biden's really hit home on since his uh, speech in Independence Hall in late August, and we hear Donald Trump talking about the cancellation of MAGA uh, more in-depth than ever at this rally in Michigan Friday night. Let's hear it. The radical left lunatics are doing everything possible to cancel our American first. This is America first. What's wrong with America first? We put our nation ahead of others and we want to help others. But we have our nation to watch. And our nation has probably never been in more dangerous conditions than it is now. Everything's going bad, everything. But truth is carrying the banner and carrying it proudly and carrying it well. And we will continue onward like nobody has ever continued onward before. There's never been a movement like this. And the funny part is just remember, they are trying to damage me in order that I don't run for president. So they're doing everything. They're throwing them all, the local DAs, the, the state attorney generals. I had a perfect phone call in Atlanta, Georgia, like so perfect. As good as the perfect phone call I had for the impeachment hoax. Remember that? That was a perfect call, too. In fact, the fair people said, wow, that was a good call. I heard people say, I never knew you were so nice. I never knew you were so nice. A lot of senators told me that. I never knew you could be so nice. These are disinformation maniacs. And they're really good at disinformation or misinformation, whichever one you want to use. They're close enough to each other. They all say they really want to run against President Trump, and then they go out and spend millions and millions of dollars to make sure I'm not the candidate. That's what they do. We want to run against Trump. By the way, let's put him under investigation in 19 <laughs> different locations. <laughs> no, but I did. I had a friend said to you, you must be the most honest human being, because it would take days to find somebody. This has been going on for years. This is going on now for six years. Six years! Ever since I came down that beautiful golden escalator in Trump Tower, <laughs> the radical left thinks by doing all these sinister and venomous things, they're making us weaker, but actually they're making us much stronger and much more unified. True story. We've definitely seen a lot of galvanization in the party since, well, the Mar-a-Lago raid for sure. Uh, but it's it's the inroads. We've talked with a lot of our guests, especially ones that are Trump adjacent. What they're doing to other people is exactly what they wish they could do to President Trump. They just can't because they literally can't find anything on him. I mean, tax loopholes as a businessman, and you might have not liked the way he presented himself or said something on the world stage. Like those are all pretty much opinionative statements or things that are like the normal way business uh, the business world works. But we do know what they go home and fantasize about, and Donald Trump actually hit on it during this rally. Let's hear it. I think they'd like to see me in prison. Can you imagine? <laughs> I think they'd like. You know why? You know why? Because they're sick. They're sick people. The Biden administration is completely corrupt, jailing political opponents just like the Soviet Union, now Russia. 
The Soviet Union, now Russia. Think of it. We're being compared to that by many, many people because of what's happening with the criminal justice system. I think it's the criminal injustice system. If the communists win, and now we're talking communists, we don't say socialist anymore because we've already skipped over socialist. We sure have, and we see in a lot of these races. I mean, you have people running for house seats in New York that are, you know, going to the green room after their acceptance speech for as the nominee for the party on the Democrat side and saying, like, socialism won and, and giving everybody oh, high five. that video is frightening. Yeah, it really is, and, and, and so is a lot of the things that are going on in this country right now. But, you know, we, we really just have to, like I said, continue to stay focused because— there are some real consequences on not getting out and getting over the finish line on November 8th and really having big sweeping victories in the House and Senate. Um, you know, the more I start looking at the numbers, like 53, maybe 54 seems like a legitimate possibility in the Senate. And there's no way or reason why we shouldn't be getting close to 245 in the House in addition to 35 governors. Winning back the House and Senate is definitely key and something we talk about on the show. President Trump hit on it as well during the rally. Let's hear it. We have a nation, as they say, in decline. If you want to stop the destruction of our country and save the American dream, you must vote Republican. You have to. I don't think you have a choice. I don't even think you have a choice. As bad as things are today, if the radical Democrats keep their grip on the House and the Senate, the situation will only get worse. They'll flood the country with tens of millions more illegal aliens. By the way, more. nobody's ever seen anything like what's happening right now with our border. We had the border the strongest ever in the history of our country. And now we have maybe the worst border in the world, because I don't believe third world countries would allow a border like that to take place in their country. Oh, he's right. When people try to cross in and out of countries in, in third world, and they, they don't, shoot them. They just shoot them. Or you step on a landmine. And we're not saying we should be shooting these people. No. But, I mean. Or you get caught up in barbed wire and you're just left there for dead. It's yeah. the so, way it is in parts of the world that aren't as, uh, you know, modernized as the United States. So. Yeah, we shouldn't be complaining about barriers and barbed wire and sensors and shit like that when other people <laughs> get shot it's like come on yeah and he would piggyback those comments right off of highlighting some of joe biden's biggest failures much to the booze of the crowd let's hear it we're going to end crazy nancy pelosi's political career <laughs> once and for all. she's crazy she is crazy under Biden, Whitmer, Pelosi, Schumer, and the Radical Democrat Congress, natural gas utility bills are up 52% at least. <laughs> Airfares are up almost 50%. And here in Michigan, the cost of gasoline is up 79%. It would have been down. Since I left office, the average Michigan family is paying over $107 more per month for food. Think of that. $78 more for housing, $275 more for transportation, monthly basis, and $164 more per month for a thing called energy. And it's going way up because they're us using energy. strategic 
reserves Energy? that we topped out first time in 51 years. 75 million barrels I bought only to be used so they can keep the price of gasoline down just a little bit for an election. Not supposed to be used for that. Yeah, man, that's exactly what Joe Biden's doing with it. Um, I don't know. He makes a lot of great points there, especially the cost. He's not just talking about the border and the Afghan disaster uh, at every single one of his rallies now, even though he does highlight them. He is actually getting into some of the numbers and talking about a lot of those things that, you know, are important to the American families as they get ready to head to the ballot box. Uh, this was a Save America rally for Tudor Dixon and, and, and part of her slate, and Donald Trump was brought her up on stage and, you know, kind of highlighted her as the absolute mommy of the 2022 midterm election cycle. Let's hear her. Please come up and say a few words. Tudor Dixon. Thank you so much. So I, I just want to say that when we took the little break, I spoke before, I went out and talked to the media, and I had one of the folks from the media ask me an interesting question. She said, I listened to your acceptance speech, and I listened to your speech tonight, and I think you hit Whitmer pretty hard. Do you think that you're coming off as a mean girl? The truth hurts. We're not going to let our kids be radicalized. We're not going to let our kids be sexualized. We're not going to let our law enforcement be demonized. We're not going to tell our businesses they can't expand. And everything I've said about Gretchen Whitmer's record is true. So all I have to say to that is, Stop trying to make re-election happen, Gretchen. You know, uh, her win would be the upset of the midterm election cycle in regards to governor's races, but I still don't think it's outside the realms of possibilities that you should just uh, brush her off. They haven't even hit the debate stage yet, and, you know, the thing about Tudor Dixon is is that she's well-liked and well-known, comes from a pretty prominent family in Michigan. She lost her dad during the uh, primary election season. And, you know, Gretchen Whitmer is probably top three besides Cuomo and uh, Gavin Newsom during the pandemic, responsible for deaths, crushing small business, while they just circumvented their own stuff and, you know, flew all over the country and did this, that, and the other thing. And we really have to take into consideration the fact that she is a legitimate candidate and that she is going to uh, make some noise on November 8th. It was pretty funny. I was texting with Christina Bob, great friend of the show. She'll be back on the 11th with Liz Harrington. During, Damn! During the rally, absolutely. And, it, you know, let me just read the text. So I went to the bathroom. As I was walking back to the riser, a woman and her daughter were like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Can we get a photo? I said, of course, sure. Thank you for the support. She said, absolutely. I love you so much, and you're going to clean up Michigan. I'm voting for you <laughs> on November 8th. We just love you, Tudor. And then she wrote, oh, man, there's been a misunderstanding. <laughs> so 
Uh, I asked her if she, I asked her if she took the picture, and she's like, "No, they didn't want to take a picture with me after I said I wasn't Tudor." So it was it was pretty funny, <laughs> and uh, yeah, oh, that's funny. That's just some on the floor commentary of what was going on during the Trump rally from a great friend of the show and and one of our real life friends, Christina Bob. That's funny. MTG has been doing the rally circuit with Donald Trump a lot lately. She's been speaking both before and during the events, and uh, she's got some personal stuff going on. It was announced last week that her and her husband had filed for divorce after, you know, 20-some-odd years and things to do with infidelity, but that's neither here nor there when it comes to, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's involvement in the America First movement and what she's doing to help make America great again. Uh, when, when they try to highlight things about that, it's because they fear uh, what she's going to do on the other side of winning back the House, and she's going to be on some committees, and she's going to make uh, some noise. She actually was called up on stage during the ride by President Trump as well, and uh, I got pulled two small clips from her. Let's hear it. All targets now, though, for daring to push back against the regime, and it doesn't stop at a weaponized legal system. I'm not going to mince words with you all. Democrats want Republicans dead, and they've already started the killings. An 18-year-old boy was run down by a Democrat driver who confessed to killing the teenager simply because he was a Republican. Michigan, just last week, an 83-year-old woman was shot in the back for advocating for the unborn. Joe Biden has declared every freedom-loving American an enemy of the state. He sure has, and she does not care about going out and highlighting that. Uh, She would continue, though, on what the alternative is, and obviously we all know it's America first. Let's hear it, and then we'll talk about it. The future of Democrats is America America last. Woke Marxism, economic failure, and never-ending foreign wars where 99% of Americans pay for all of it, but live in poverty while the security state is the controlling regime who only serves the interests of the elite 1%. The future under Republicans is America first, protects freedoms for all, reigns in the federal government, and loyally follows the one true leader of the Republican Party, the one we elected in 2016, the one we re-elected in 2020. our next president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. No, I'll be honest with you. Regardless of her politics or the way she goes about conducting herself, it's hard not to like her if you're an America first nationalist like we are on Steak for Breakfast. Mm -hmm. You know, she calls it like it is. She definitely shoots from the hip. Uh, She may be a little bit abrasive at times, but we need fighters in the Republican Party. It's the one thing that we always lack. And, uh, Speaking of fighters, in our last clip before the outro, there was nobody safe from getting appreciation at the Michigan rally. America's most humble pillow farmer. Nice. Was mentioned by the big guy on stage as well after becoming FBI's most wanted. Let's hear it. Companies couldn't afford to put on the commercials that you do. Will you explain this to me, please? Someday you're going to sit down and explain. He's the single greatest commercial buyer, but I have heard you're doing great. I have heard that patriots are buying those pillows and they're very good. And everything else. But we want to thank you. This guy's been fighting this fight. And the FBI raided Mike. Can you believe it? They raided Mike. They took his phone. 
And Mike looked at him like they're crazy. Did he get get back yet? Never happened like this. Anyway, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it very much. Everybody here appreciates it. Thank you, Mike. And and everybody. I really want him to throw in a promo code. For Trump? No, I just want Trump to be like, use promo code. (laughs) Use promo code Trump. Promo code millions and millions (laughs) or billions and billions rigged and stolen. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, listen, for everything that Mike Lindell is, I don't think he gets enough credit for how hard he's worked on behalf of Donald Trump. You got to remember they were friends before he was president. Then he came on and he was on two different presidentially appointed panels. And during the pandemic, he shut down part of the pillow factory to make PPE during COVID. And for his undying loyalty to Donald Trump and the America first message, Trump era policies, things he knew that made his business great again. Uh, he has been nothing but persecuted by, you know, facets of our government and, and, and people like Joe Biden and, and Merrick Garland. So, you know, for Donald Trump to acknowledge him every once in a while, I think it's just pretty damn wholesome to say the least. Mm-hmm. We're going to jump right into the outro here and, uh, we'll talk about the overality of the rally following. So let's hit it. In conclusion, our MAGA movement, make America great again is by far the greatest political movement in the history of our country. Nobody even debates it. Nobody says, oh, gee, it might not be. There was a movement 200 years ago. Now, there's never been anything like this. And by the way, far more people than you think. Far more. This isn't a 50-50 country. Far, far more than you think. Together, we're standing up against some of the most menacing forces entrenched interests and vicious opponents our people have ever seen before. Despite great outside dangers, our biggest threats remain the sick, sinister, and evil people from within our country. From within. You know the people I'm talking about. You see them all the time. Lie, disinformation, cheat, steal. But no matter how big or powerful the corrupt radical left Democrats that we are fighting against may be, You must never forget, this nation does not belong to them. This nation belongs to you, to you, all of you. This is your home, this is your heritage, and our American liberty is your God-given right. Remember that. From Marquette to Midland, from Mackinac to Saginaw, and from Lansing to beautiful Ann Arbor, to right here in Warren, we inherit the legacy of Michigan patriots who gave their blood, sweat, and tears for this beloved nation. This is the state where Henry Ford invented the assembly line. How about that? It's the place where General Motors, Chrysler, and Kellogg revolutionized entire industries, and Michigan is the state that gave us Motown and Mustang, the unrivaled might of the American Midwest, unrivaled. Your Michigan ancestors forged the steel, built the cities, laid out the railroads, worked the factories, tilled the fields, fought the battles, and won the victories that made America into the greatest and most powerful nation in the history of the world.
But now we are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. We are a nation that has the highest inflation in 50 years. And where the stock market finished the worst first half of the year since 1872. Likewise, we are a nation that has the highest energy cost in its history. We are no longer energy independent or energy dominant. And we were just there two short years ago. We are a nation that is begging Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and many others for oil. Please, please, please help us, Joe Biden says. Yet we have more liquid gold right under our feet than any other country in the world. We are a nation that is consumed by the radical left's Green New Deal. Yet everyone knows that the Green New Deal will lead to our destruction. We are a nation whose leaders are demanding all electric cars, even though they can't go far, cost too much, and whose batteries are produced in China with materials only available in China when unlimited amounts of gasoline are available inexpensively in the United States, but not available in China. We are a nation that ended oil exploration and production in the United States of America, just as the price of oil reached an all-time high. We are a nation that surrendered in Afghanistan, leaving behind dead soldiers, American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and it will only get worse. It would never have happened with me as your Commander-in-Chief, and for four long years, it never did happen. And China with Taiwan, their circling is next. We are a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never before. We've got a Federal Bureau of Investigation that won't allow bad election-changing facts to be presented to the public. Where Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation when they knew it wasn't. And a Department of Justice that refuses to investigate egregious acts of voting irregularities and fraud. And we have a president who's cognitively impaired and in no condition to lead our country, which may very well end up very soon in World War III. We are a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is all you get. And they are indeed the enemy of the people. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed, where crime is rampant like never before, where the economy has been collapsing, where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. We are a nation that is allowing Iran to build a massive nuclear weapon and China to use the trillions of dollars it has taken from us to build a military to rival our own. And just two years ago, we had Iran, China, Russia, 
and North Korea in check. They weren't going to do a thing against us, and everyone knows it. They respected your leader, and they respected our country. And perhaps most importantly, we are a nation that is no longer respected. We are a nation that is no longer listened to around the world. We are a nation that in many ways has become a joke. And we are a nation that is hostile to liberty, freedom, and faith. We are a nation whose economy is floundering, whose stores are not stocked, whose deliveries are not coming, and whose educational system is ranked at the very bottom of every single list. We are a nation where large packs of criminals and thieves are allowed to go into stores and openly rob them, beat up the help, and kill people. They will kill people, and they kill them at will, and kill if them. necessary, and even if not necessary. And there is no retribution. Yep. We are a nation whose once revered airports are a dirty, crowded mess where you sit and wait for hours and then are notified that the plane won't leave. And they have no idea when they will as a nation, when they will be delivered and when you will be delivered to your destination. It's a nation where ticket prices are through the roof. They don't have the pilots to fly the plane. They don't want or seek qualified air traffic controllers. And they don't know what the hell they're doing. We are a nation that has lost its confidence, its willpower, and its strength. We are a nation that has lost its way. But we are not going to let this continue. Two years ago, we were a great nation, and we will soon be a great nation again. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We will stand up to the radical left Democrats and the rhinos, and we will fight for America like no one has ever fought before. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot meet. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend, we will not break, we will not yield. We will never, ever, ever give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever back down. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a chance. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and God alone. The silent majority is back and stronger than ever before. My fellow citizens, this incredible journey we are on together has only just begun. And it is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious American nation. So with the help of everyone here today and citizens all across our land, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make 
America strong again. We will make America proud again. Proud. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, Michigan. God bless you all. Thank you, Michigan. Thank you very much. What do you think, Noah? That was pretty good. Hitting the big points in the message from Warren, Michigan. Last Friday night was the 45th president of the United States and hitting them hard. Um, great rally. Tudor Dixon, strong gubernatorial candidate. You had Secretary of State and Attorney General nominees Matthew DiPerno and Kristen Crammel both give fire speeches from the podium. I'm rating it 8.8. And uh, it's in the top five of the rallies for the midterm election cycle right now. I already mentioned we're going to be coming back hot. Uh, we're going to have rally coverages of Arizona and Nevada uh next week and uh you know i think the message for america first is alive and well i think it's stronger than ever and i really think that the one true leader of the republican party the conservative movement the movement that apparently is only just begun uh donald trump is uh at the forefront of that so we'll continue to uh track him as we uh you know move through the week and, and well see who else could sue him between now and then what a way to start the week, Noah. What do you think? It is a way. <laughs> two great interviews, two America First Republican nominees, and a Trump rally. I can't think of a better way to get you guys going into uh, right now, five weeks away from Election Day. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the other 174 episodes of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podata, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our guests today, Raheem Kassam, Editor-in-Chief of the National File, Josh Hammer of Newsweek, and America First, Trump-endorsed Republican nominees, Ohio 9 and Montana 1, J.R. Majewski and Ryan Zinke. In addition to them, some of our internet friends, Who White Memes, The Patriotic Babe Accounts, Ultra Garbaggio, and Christina Bob of Save America. You know what? I'm going to throw Con at Twitter in there as well. They've been helping out a lot this week, uh, extending our reach on Twitter. Friends, don't forget to go and uh, shower our partners with some love in the form of cash, because when you do that, all it does is help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. Can't say enough about Mike Lindell. Donald Trump said enough about him at the Trump rally in Michigan on Friday. When you enter promo code Steak at checkout, you're going to experience those big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for everything sleep related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for everything breakfast related. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative. one 800 658 45. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. This is an investment I will never regret. The most comfortable and the best sound I've ever heard in my ears. If you're serious about doing anything in the recording studio, you want to get Odyssey headphones. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. The Patriot Cigar Company has launched and is ready to fire. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're getting 15% off your total order. Free shipping on orders over 100 and every box of cigars comes with a $10 e-gift card for your next purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium of smoke for freedom-loving patriots. 
Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs, firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Stay ready to gear holsters. What do we got this week, Noah? What can we throw on there that's delicious? Hmm. Something that's uh, equitable. Uh, <laughs> Cackling Kamala? Yeah. If you wanted that on a Kydex Conceal Carry holster, they'll get your order done up and out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs! can never forget the man rubbiest. I have not had any man rubs this week, but I plan on at some point using it. It is delicious. When you buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, throw it in the cooking apparatus of your choice, you'll eventually... Pull it, shred it, throw it on some kind of bun, maybe with a little sauce and right in your mouth. Num, num, num. Manrubs.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to like their Instagram a little bit better. Mediocremedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows... Well, we had a heater today. We're coming in with an even hotter one on Friday. I don't know how to say this without being excited. Carrie Lake, Doug Mastriano, Sandy Smith, and Max Miller. Same episode. Damn! I knew it was coming, and I waited for it. We'll be back on Tuesday with Christina Bob, Liz Harrington, and the founder of... It's completely escaped me, but I guarantee it's... Oh, the National File. Noah Frisch, he'll be here. It's going to be a great segment. On the 14th of October, Nunez Cash Patel, Volume 2. We saw him on War Room the other day. Me and Cash talked a little bit. It wasn't cheating. They're just friends. He didn't give me anything juicy. We'll have them both in here on the 14th. On the 18th of October, J.W. Gibbons of the Daily Caller, Jank Denton of the Heritage Foundation, and North Carolina Congressional Republican nominee Mike Collins. Georgia 10, not North Carolina. Georgia 10, he'll be joining us. Paige William, John Gibbs will be in on the 21st. And Trump-endorsed America First senatorial candidate out of Connecticut. Lior Levy will be returning on the 28th of October. In addition to them, we're working with a whole bunch of moving parts. Blake Masters will be in here. Don Boldock will be in here. A couple other ones that we uh, have had historically on the show. Their campaigns are really heating up right now. So whenever they have availability, we'll be throwing them to you guys. But uh, just know that they're coming. And we're working as hard as we can. Ryan Zinke came out of left field this week, and here he is on Steak for Breakfast. Friends of the Week, our obvious True Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, Real Lazy Boy, American Nintendo Suitcase, CSM Master, and Burger Man. Can't forget Indiana Zoomer, Jason E. Van Gundy, 13 Gen Patriot, Thomas Bama, and some call me Tim79 either. Ghost Hammer, you know we love you. Mostly Peaceful Memes, Real Brenda, Madam America, Real Al Gorbachev, John Hacker LA, Grand Old Memes, and The Real Meme DeLorean. Guys, there's a couple things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. If you could navigate around nuclear wars and Trump rallies, you'll find out that Joe Biden is the head of the largest human smuggling and children smuggling operation in the history of this country. Number two, start a podcast. Not too bad. Even if I show you this? That's fine. Love it. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We don't talk about greatness enough. We need to attach an American to the front of it and start talking about it right now. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. 
This has been episode 175 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Friday with episode 176. Carrie Lake, Doug Mastriano, Sandy Smith, and Max Miller. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening, and take care. From those folks. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it is flat out child abuse. Take your children and tell them they have to attend school. Don't have a choice. And then some of them will tell them they don't want you to have a choice where they go to school. You have to send your children here to school. Then when they get there, what do they teach them? Teach them a bunch of stuff about how to hate America. Teach them a bunch of stuff about why they're racist. Teach them a bunch of stuff about transgenderism and homosexuality. I'm saying this now, and I've been saying it, and I don't care who likes it. Those issues have no place in a school. There's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, any of that filth. And yes, I called it filth. And if you don't like it that I called it filth, come see me and I'll explain it to you. It's time for us to stop letting these children be abused at these schools. And it's not going to happen till the people of God stand up and demand different.